Hello, and welcome back to the RKV Podcast. My name is Noah. And my name is Gavin. And we're the Blanchard Brothers, back with your first 2x2 retro review of 2022. Right. This is season three mm-hmm. of 2x2 retro reviews. Everyone's favorite RKV series. Definitely really? not Bending Not Breaking. Yeah. The show that, it, you know. What's that? Has. I, I know you don't know what it is. Something about M. Night Shyamalan's Airbender thing? Nailed it. That's uh, what it's about. Yeah. They cover the movie minute by minute. It's one of oh, those type shows. It's a fucking deep dive. Yeah. Like a deep, the old ones, Cthulhu deep dive. I mean, they've been doing it for, uh, they just finished season five. Wow. So so they're 50 minutes into the movie. How long is that movie? An hour and a half? I think it's about about 210. Oh, yeah. Okay. So they got plenty of time. I don't know. Never finished. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah. This is everybody. This is the consensus crowd favorite. Oh, okay. Uh, I say that based on absolutely nothing, but these are some of the most listened to episodes of the show. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people that check in and are like, oh, I wanted to hear about this movie, and clearly are like, oh, these guys are all right. Yeah. I'll pass on everything else. <laughs> but yeah, we have the occasional weird spike. One of these days, we'll go through and talk about the most successful of the 2 by 2 retro reviews. Because I think some of them might surprise you if we looked at the numbers. We were were we like the most <clears> successful <throat> when we looked at uh, mute? Like yes, the, the that was second, like that yeah. was one. Of, well, what that led me to is like if you talk about any Netflix movie, good or bad, mm-hmm. but you talk about it within the first weekend that it's out, you you're gonna get some you're gonna get some downloads. Yeah. So you know we could chase that. We could pander, or we could t- continue to do what we do, yeah. which is talk about movies that are at least ten years old, and uh, try and vaguely connect them together, and uh, force each other to watch stuff. In this case, movies that we had both seen, yes, multiple times. I'm assuming, mm-hmm. uh, yes. But uh, we got a we got a ten year anniversary, and we have a uh, a twenty year anniversary. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, I didn't check the release dates on these, but. You know, they're coming up. They're within yeah. this calendar year. Everybody's already been talking. Like, there's been a bunch of retrospectives on one of them. I was reading a few while I was waiting on you today. I think uh, one of the ones we're going to discuss is one you'll definitely hear more about, it being its tenure. Uh, the one that's 20 years old, I feel like has kind of faded from memory. And yeah. we'll, we'll talk about whether that's a good, bad thing, or, you know, whether it just kind of makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I don't know which one you want to tackle first, but we are talking about NARC. That would be my pick. From 2002. Not to be confused with Narc, the musician. Yes. Right. Lest, lest we forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little subtle difference in the spelling. There. Yes. And your pick Looper. from 2012. Yes, Looper. Ryan Johnson's Looper. With Jordan Gordon Lewis. <laughs> Jor- Jordan Gordon Lewis. Gordon. I think that's it's <laughs> something from a Bill Hader sketch or something. I don't know. I don't know why I... That name just pops in my head when I think of Jordan GGL. Jeffrey Lewis. <laughs> Thinks he invented aluminum foil. <laughs> Mr. Joe Fusco Jr. <laughs> <laughs> he also claims he invented aluminum foil. He's delusional. Top five rom coms. Oh, yeah. Faux show. Just a fucking classic. Oh. We, maybe they, Christmas time. Maybe it's yeah. time to discuss That's while you were sleeping. Oh, for sure. Yeah. One of my favorites. We had to watch Sandy, that at Media Arts. Loved it. In, at USC Sumter. That was like our definition of what a rom-com was. It hit all the marks, all the tropes, 
all this stuff. And I was like, okay, this this media art teacher might know what he's talking about. So, word. <clears throat> yeah, Looper. One of, probably, probably, I mean, I'm going to put it up top. One of the best time travel sci-fi movies in recent memory. Can you think of a better one? I'll wait. I mean, I'm inclined to say one of the best of all time, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, that was going to be my main question is, name me a better original right sci-fi film from the last yeah the last 10 years that's not um uh benson and moorhead right. <laughs> what do you call them benson and hedges what do you woodward call them? and bernstein woodward and bernstein <laughs> excuse me yeah there are new ones coming out later this year what? uh yeah in the dirt i think there's no that was in the earth excuse me is the ben wheatley movie i think I think it's either called In the Dirt or Something in the Dirt. You know what? Something now, like yeah. That. Now I want to if look you, it up. If you're going to exclude Wilbert and Bernstein from the conversation, they're then also yeah, there isn't. they're also directing most of, if not all, of Moon Knight. Oh, good. Very excited. Can't wait for that, that shit. Yeah. If you excuse, if excuse both of those two because they've just done fucking amazing work with the subject. I can't think of another one, but yeah. Synchronic would be another one that's like this is perfect. Like it, it perfectly explains the rules of time travel. Something in the dirt. Huh. Okay. Uh, when neighbors John and Levi witness supernatural events in their Los Angeles apartment building, they realize documenting documenting the paranormal could inject some fame and fortune into their wasted lives, and even deeper, darker rabbit hole. Their friendship phrase as they uncover the dangers of the phenomena, the city and each other and it's starring them again oh good so back to the endless good vibe and apparently they shot it during uh quarantine quarantine oh so it's i cannot fucking chamber piece because you Uh, know what noah it's really nice that i know that one's coming out and it's gonna be something i can watch in a few months or weeks or however long because i'm still fucking waiting on chuck hank and the san diego twins still waiting almost 10 years are we are we close to 10 years gotta uh, be right oh my gosh when when was bellflower Bellflower was 2011, is that right? I think yeah. we already missed the, we should have done a big retrospective last year, but yeah. I was, One of know, us we were still, yeah. we were still sour grapes because we're waiting on, uh, waiting yeah. on that other one. Could you show me, you show me footage of them with it on a fucking I mean, I was back screen. on the Patreon, it seemed like it was right, it seemed like it was happening, and now, radio silence. Yeah. Not the makers of the most recent Scream, uh, just radio silence that, you know. Uh, disambiguous From however they would say on right. Wikipedia gotcha which one are we talking about first yeah. I feel like you, I, I have you plenty just to, I have plenty to say about both of these uh, in my rewatches but uh, I'm, I'm game for whichever I don't know do we lead with the more the more seen the more popular I think we talk about NARC first just I think we do too so further check removed. the show notes you can skip yeah. ahead if you have no interest in this movie which is uh, totally fair that's yeah. the case I kind of picked it on a whim because I had been wanting to rewatch it right and so this was my excuse to make you do it and me to rewatch it as well yeah um, I think my instinct with this one was honestly a curiosity of just how it would hold up in general given right. uh current pull like the current landscape of things in regards to police um also just i wanted to look at this is a in my head this was a paramount vantage movie Mm -hmm. it's just straight up paramount 
for distribution, and it's a Cruise Wagner production. Yeah. So I'm, this this was like one, this was like a mini indie, sort of, where it wasn't a huge budget, but it was a studio thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, twenty eight days to shoot. Obviously, the script, like, got some traction. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to bring this up because we never really talked about Carnahan with any kind of depth, mm-hmm. but a guy that I feel like we were both big fans of. And in like ringer nomenclature, we bought a lot of stock in. Oh yeah. Initially, um, that maybe never quite ever paid off. Yeah, I could see that. Arguable. Uh, He's one of those where if you if what he was involved with and what he you know was you know mentioned as oh he's going to do X Y and Z if any one of those happened I feel like boom he's up there with like you know look at this guy. I, for one, will always write or die for the 18 remake. You, you know that. Huge fan as well. Um, yes. But some of this, like, you know, Cruz Wagner, they, they ask him, hey, why don't you come work on Mission Impossible 3? And he had to leave the set, and then it becomes yep. a, a, a JJ movie, right? Yeah. So And there, I mean, I'm not super well-versed in all of these, but I think he's he's been one of those people who had a lot of, like, this is about to happen, this is my next project, and then it fell through. I think he's been branded as like kind of hard to work with a little bit awesome. of a hard ass he feels like he i mean from the vibe of this movie and this being I, this is his first feature if i'm not mistaken correct um is there one that predates this blood something in octane blood guts bullet bullets and octane i believe it's he's in it so he like one he made shot and directed but that's what gets him noticed for this um and then this is I gotta be honest, I didn't really go back and do any research. I'm just going off my memory of the time. Uh, You were 100% correct. Blood, Guts, Bullets, and Octane from 1998. Nobody we know. But yeah, you said it's like self-financed. He's in it. Mm -hmm. I'd be interested in checking that out at some point. This is his first proper studio feature. And... I think you... I think you can see why this got greenlit on the level that it did and what they're kind of chasing. Right. Because a year prior to this, we have a pretty a pretty big movie that I feel like this movie is kind of exists in the shadow of, even though they're they're quite different. Right. But a little movie called Training Day, which oh. we've never like full on discussed. But so you can see, okay, gritty, you know, dirty cop movie, slightly elevated, like it's got a little bit of like prestige to it yeah we got this like monster supporting role for like a maybe veteran actor to come in and kind of crush mm-hmm. maybe could be an oscar opportunity for them that didn't quite happen yeah i do want to look at the field i didn't do this in advance but i i do remember at the time he was one of those cusp like maybe he could get a nomination because this is what when's copland 99 I believe Copland is 98 or 99. Yeah, yeah so it's that's like the that. last big thing he Leota was in before this, right? Which he's fantastic in, but again, that's an ensemble where, yeah, I mean, everybody kind of pops. Right. But they everybody's, I mean, everybody's amazing in it. Right. And there's so many awesome people mm-hmm. that it almost kind of just, the only thing that actually rises above is the Stallone performance because it's so different than right. how you're used to seeing him. Exactly. And the fact that he's, like, holding his own for the most part with all these people. Well, then, just the fact that, like, when you look at Ray Liotta in Copland, he's pretty much Henry Hill all over again. It's not—he's not any major changes. And in this, he, he gained a lot of weight. 
he even wore like stuff underneath his big overcoats to make himself look oh, big. He would also eat a lot of Chinese food before takes to get that like water retention in his face to just look like he just had all this rage and shit going on with him, you know, which I think works. I was going to say, that's my, that's my favorite form of method. Give yeah. me a bunch of Chinese food. Yeah. Okay. You know? Um, and you should about, maybe backtrack for two seconds. Yeah. Sorry. Cause I don't even think we said it. If you didn't watch the movie, if you're just following along, um, it's, it's a dirty cop slash mystery. Yeah. Thriller crime drama. Do you want to label it neo-noir? Maybe possibly a little bit. I mean, it does have the true like detective element to it, which I like. It's not, it is one of those where it's kind of like a, a clean ribbon on the end. We'll talk about the structure of this too, which I think is actually kind of fascinating, but, um, and we don't have to go through too much beat by beat, but the basic plot, a, uh, disgraced cop who's had an incident on the job who was an undercover narc uh played by the incomparable jason patrick one of our i think our shared favorite dudes that i don't know that we've gotten a chance to like really delve in and talk about and you want to talk about overshadowing um i feel like he is incredible in this movie and he should have been the thing that people like came out of this going like shit we really we got to put Patrick in more stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Like we got to do this. And instead all the energy is kind of behind Leota and then it kind of fizzles out. It never materializes right. into like what they thought it was going to be for him. It's kind of the vibe. Anyways, Jason Patrick's character, uh, begrudgingly takes on a kind of cold case, semi cold case of a murdered cop, another undercover cop who's been dead for around 60 days and they have no leads, uh, no hard evidence. And they basically are like, you can come back onto the force uh, if you get, you know, if you solve this case. Uh, by the way, a he, conviction. Yes, in the process, he brings in the former. Uh, they're not partners, but just former friend, colleague of uh, the slain officer, right. played by Ray Liotta. Um, it's Oak, right? Oak, yeah, Henry yeah. Oak, Deputy Oak, uh, Detective Oak. Excuse me. Uh, so yeah, and they go on a, uh, an odyssey into the underworld to try, or the, you know, the, the drug scene to try and figure out what happened to this guy. And, uh, the answers lead them in some interesting places and mm-hmm. some morally questionable, uh, gray areas. Okay. That's your basic plot outline. So back to what you were saying, or do you want to talk about the opening of this movie? which I remember it as being pretty notorious and I prepared myself for once again and it did not, uh, it has not lost any of its luster to me personally. No, that still holds up. It is one of the most visceral first like five minutes of a movie I've ever seen. I put it up there with another one close to this time, which is the opening of Assault on Precinct 13, the remake. Which I feel like is very much aping the energy of this. It's trying to. It's still a little muted compared to how wild this opening is. But it definitely has that vibe of like somebody watched that and was like, we got to do this in our opener. He's got to be undercover. He's got to be chasing after somebody crazy. And people got to get shot in the process and like fucked up. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, Wild. yeah, you have, again, one of the most visceral. This to me is like, and you see, you can see him doing like speed ramping in it, but it's not. It's not overdone to me in this. And this movie does have a lot of that very, like, 
late 90s, early 2000s, quick cutty. Yeah. You could put it in the, like, it's kind of, it's kind of Fincher done poorly. Right. If you will. Because he doesn't really do that, but it's that vibe. It's that, like, music videoification sort of thing. And then you, of course, begin to associate that more with, like, Saw and the torture porn genre. That right. style of editing. But the, it's it's a little bit here, and I, it is a symptom of just the 2000s. But I feel like in its vibe, he's kind of establishing part of this style at the time. A little bit, yeah. To me. And I remember it feeling very singular watching it the first time that like, oh, this, you know, Training Day has a look to it, but this has a very different look. Mm -hmm. Very like muted, very saturated colors, like. um, Much like L.A. has a look to it and so does Detroit. Sure. And I think it nailed, I mean, obviously I've never been to Detroit, but, and again, you could go on and on about its depictions in cinema in general, which are all pretty terrible always gets a bad rap yes and again we're from what i've also been led to believe that's like you know it's kind of like a couple square blocks that like every movie seems to focus on where it's like this is like the dregs of society Mm -hmm. um it's up it's either whether you're up or down north or south of eight mile if i'm not mistaken I, i don't know yeah so i think but again having never been there i think it nails the vibe, the feel of the cold, mm-hmm. like all of that through. Again, it's it's simple stuff like blue color filters, but you, you're seeing the breath. It's obviously a shot on location, from what mm-hmm. I know. Um, and yeah, it it nails a mood and a visceral vibe. And this movie moves at a pretty decent clip. I looked at it and it's like, oh, it's one forty five. It's a hard one forty, like on the dot with five minutes of credits, which I was actually surprised by, but. It moves you through this case. It's got the, like, okay, people have been watching Law & Order right. on TV for fucking ever, but but they've never heard this level of language, this actual... And it gets back more to... I feel like it's... The biggest thing that this is trying to ape and be the modern version of is French Connection. Yeah. Clearly, to me. It, it wants to have that verisimilitude of, like... We're on the ground with these guys. It feels like lived in and like well-researched, all of that. And again, that's what I was kind of echoing. That opening chase scene to me is like, okay, I want to give you the souped up modern visceral version of when they're chasing down the Santa Claus in the earth. There's the chase in the opening of French Connection, right? which at the time was like, oh my God, this foot chase like feels like nothing else. And then you have... I'm thinking of other, like, great foot chases in cinema, and, like, Point Break comes to mind. Oh, yeah. And that one, like, has this, like, you know, speed and intensity to it, and, like, it has a a whole story told within it. And this is, like, zipped up. It's When he is, like, moving and the camera's right behind him, like, in the actual running sequences, I remember feeling, like, physically, like, this is a lot. Right. And, like, oh, my God, if I had seen this in a theater, like, that would have been too much probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, super intense. And then immediately kind of sets the tone of, like, okay, boom. The first person we see uh, who gets stabbed with the needles or whatever, it's not like, oh, there's a little bit of blood and, like, boom, that person's dead. Oh, my God. It's like, no, they're gurgling. Like, this feels like you're watching somebody die on camera. 
this mm. is like extremely visceral. And then, so we've seen what that dude is capable of. We don't know the context of anything. We right. just are seeing Jason Patrick's character remembering this. Mm-hmm. We do get that opening shot of him, and he seems to be recalling this. Anyways, this crazed junkie snatches up now a kid, a small infant off of a playground. Mm-hmm. And, like, without hesitating, Jason Patrick is boom, boom, boom. On the run. Not even, yes. like, squared up, checking to see if anybody's in his line of sight. It's just, doom, 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 like, shooting him on the run, one-handed. Yes. Like, crazy. Takes him out, manages to avoid the daughter. You're like, oh, my God, thank Christ that's over. And then you realize that the mother of that daughter, who is also pregnant has been wounded in the right. leg by him. And again, that is like one of the most intense openings ever. They immediately take you into a scene where they're like, uh, so the, yeah, the baby didn't make it. Uh, this is 18 months later. Right. It's like, uh, yeah, so the baby didn't make it. And uh, we hear you've had contact with the mom, blah, 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 all this different stuff. But so, so the mom survived. The baby did not ruled a bad shooting or whatever they loop him into coming back in but we're also getting intercut like oh in these intervening 18 months he has now had a kid right um and yeah just like processing all that at the time i forgot i was like this movie gets right into it like right it is it i is remember very, the very the showering with the his own child that yes. was in the trailer i remember yes. a trailer with that and being like this movie's intense. There's like a baby in a shower with this dude. Like people don't shower with their children. They wash their children. Something in you a... don't see that often. Even stuff like um, the baby sleeping in the bed with them, right? As opposed to like in a crib and stuff. Just mm-hmm. you know, just little. That's how they do in Detroit, baby. Little touches that I think add to a, you know, it's trying to go for this naturalism, which I think is going to be interesting when I bring up a couple points. So I don't want to go point by point, essentially, other than. The Incredible Chai McBride, who I'm always happy to see, mm-hmm. um, is the kind of overall detective who loops him back into this and is like, hey, you want a desk job? I also love that. It's like... He ain't about you, the action no more. That's what I'm saying. You very rarely see the guy who's like, oh, I'm coming back for one last job because that's the only way I'm going to get the boring-ass desk job. Like, that's what I'm craving. Mm-hmm. I guess you kind of... Like Murtaugh, I guess a little bit in the lethal weapons he's always like about to retire but this is like he's not trying to get out of it he literally just like i got a kid i got you know new family essentially i got to provide for the kid so i just want a boring desk job i don't want to be out in the field i don't want to be doing deep like deep cover and so okay this is what i gotta do all right he starts looking at everything he's like i keep seeing this dude's name henry oak henry oak henry oak and so he goes to McBride, and he's basically like, uh, yeah, so he's not allowed to work this case. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, he did, like, all this research, and, like, he seems to really know a lot of it, so it seems like, you know, you should just bring him back in. Like, maybe that's your your answer there. Yeah. And he's like, look, he's got a great conviction rate. 93%. <laughs> he's great. Uh but he's everything a cop's not supposed to be these days. And, and I'm just, the, the line of it's, it's only it, a matter of time before IAB comes down on him. I'm like, okay, I know exactly who dude, this dude is. Exactly. And it's intercut with a, um, <laughs> Ray Liotta putting a uh, pool ball in a sock to beat a giant man who yes. apparently was abusing his wife. And kid. Um, yes. 
and just like beats him senseless while he's handcuffed and it's just like we set the precedent of like okay yeah you think you've seen dirty cops we're gonna like <laughs> right yeah we're putting it on front street with this guy so that's how we're introduced to him he talks him into bringing him back on but it's like but you got to take on this case you guys got to be listed as partners otherwise it's no, no it's go. Gonna, yeah it's not gonna apply and so and that's where we have the stakes from the, begin- from the beginning, Leota is like suspect. He's like, are you, you're IAB. Like IAB talk to you. They're coming. He's like, no, he's like, uh, fuck you. You telling me for Dude, real. I just, IAB I just is gotta not say, coming. okay. So yeah. they do the, like, seems like a classic scene, a trophy scene at this point of the shooting range. Yes. And like, there's only one other guy there and he's shooting, you know, dead bull's eyes the whole time. Right. But I, when Ray Liotta leans, it's really the first time we, I mean, we had that introduction scene, but it's kind of like, here's a side cut to it. But when he like just slides back from the partition and is like, we should get a drink or like, we get a coffee. Yeah. We get a coffee. The look in his eye is such that I feel like Jason Patrick should just be like, ah, uh, yeah, you know what? I'm nope. just going to go. I'm gonna go be a janitor somewhere. Like right. I, I no, I should I should not go down this road. <laughs> not like, at all. He has this like one of the most intense like gleans in his eye I've ever fucking seen from an actor. Where I'm just like, oh shit, this guy's been through the ringer. Speaking of been through the ringer, Jason Patrick is one of the most haunted looking individuals I've yes. ever seen. Yes, he like he is he like constantly r- looks like his world has just been ripped. From inside of him, he at looks, any time, he looks like Rust Cole and Ravel Coro put through a blender, right. like put through an even worse life than the two of those gentlemen. <laughs> right, in um, every movie, not just this movie. But you, you, no, did you just did you see Rush? Did you watch? Of Rush? course, I've seen Rush. I like to think Rush that, is one that that's a Sycamore movie, though. I have not seen Rush in like fifteen years. Bro, Rush is like. <laughs> It's weird that it's like how similar they are. It's completely different. No, you and could it's tell- so tame. You, we should have probably paired these two and called it St. Patty's Day for March. But you know what? <laughs> we missed the boat again. Day late and a fucking dollar short. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You know what? In hindsight, <laughs> we were great at it. We are not punctual about getting to shit when we should. But God damn it, we think about how great it would have been. So if you want that podcast, we'll definitely go back and compare Rush to this. We'll call it St. Patty's Day. And maybe we can throw in like speed two. Why, why don't we just do a whole month month of Patrick? Yeah, dude, we could do your friends and neighbors, um, the the, the losers, losers. Uh, lost, lost boys. boys, obviously. Speed two cruise control, of course. Downloading Nancy, yeah, with him and Maria Bello. Yeah, <laughs> you want to talk about a dark movie with him playing a haunted individual? Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. So again, we don't have to go beat by beat. But what what did you make of it going back? How long has it been? You know. Oh god, it's been at least like seven, eight years since I watched it. And I mean, I remember it being one of those where it's like when I get to the payoff, I'm like, ah, oh. like I wanted it to be more. Okay, so here's but going my... back through it this time. I'm like, okay, I understand now. Here's my thing with the payoff. I had it had been long enough that I since I'd seen it that I knew I was like, I know Ray Liotta's involved, Mm -hmm. but I was like, and I remember like, Oh yeah, Ray Liotta killed him. But then I'm sitting there the whole time and I'm like, but why, why this big cover up? And I was like, 
But why does he have to do all of that if he's the one who killed him? So I had forgotten about the final, final reveal. Right. So that actually played for me in the moment. I was like, oh, yeah. And honestly, the... I don't know if I remembered this, but the the fact that it all connects and ties back into the one story he told to Jason, in the car. Well, no, I was just saying well, that yeah, the whole true. Jason Patrick character and like his whole motivation for taking on this case and the point he was at where he started is all like a kind of like a perfect loop, and that would be a great segue. <laughs> but we're not quite done yet. But I started thinking. I was. I was like. Oh, this is kind of the. It is kind of noirish it or is. Swiss watchy, where it's like, oh, we get to the end and like it, it, it was worked. all connected. It worked. literally it, everything all of it was, yeah. and I did, and I did not remember that being a thing. I didn't so. remember that part. I remembered that. I didn't remember the daughter part, or like the girlfriend part, the wife part. That the wife was the little girl Ray Liotta saved. Oh, as soon as he, yeah, no, as soon as he told that story, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. It's it's not about him. It's about the the daughter and like, right. or not the you know the surrogate daughter essentially, the daughter he was never able to have because he lost the wife to cancer. That's the thing. I feel bad for Leota because obviously the things that would that get the attention are things that people have seen him do, right. which are the big, intense, screamy moments, mm-hmm. which he totally nails okay. throughout this movie. But the movie smartly, and I feel like this is why he would look at it and be like, this is pretty juicy, does give him that scene you're talking about. That car scene where they're just, they're on the stakeout, and he tells the story about basically some of the darkest shit he's seen. Now, this is where I want to ask you. That um, story he tells, which mm-hmm. is basically, I found this girl and her father had been pimping her out for rent money. Right. That comes on the heels of a section where we have, uh, like, kind of an old school split screen. Again, feels very seventies. It's trying to. It's uh, to me that's the feel of this movie. Yeah, as much as it 70s, has those yeah. those quick cutty things, it feels like it's trying to modernize that style. Like, okay, well, what would that be now? Mm-hmm. We're not gonna ape the seventies style or the look of it with like grain or right. you know dot long dolly shots or anything like that we're going to update that but keep the feel of it right. the mentality of it the mm-hmm. the leanness if you will so all of that still really played for me but we get that sequence they're asking and i'm sure a lot of those indiv- i think i remember this from the commentary which i none watched them, at some point none of them were real actors that's why yeah. they, nobody knew they're all they on the about. street and they're just asking about this random guy and some people like oh yeah i kind of know him or like you know we'll continue on with it but all of that is essentially improv yeah and all just like stolen shots i'm guessing so but it's interesting we, that that montage and like it's different palettes it all basically winds them to like get to this point where they're like oh we can go like they both convene on a name and they both convene yes. on, you know, and it just does get back to that. Like, that's what you don't, you see it sometimes in like law and order episodes, but that's what police work is. It's going out. It's asking well, that's questions. What I was going to say, finding something and moving along as you find more clues. I love that, that this montage gets all of that done without, like we still get to have our normal detective beats of go location to location. Right. You know, one, breadcrumb leads you to the next but we do get this initial thrust of like okay we're gonna do a lot of that stuff but it's got a different flavor to it and again because it is this like man on the street vibe like just non-actors it has 
you know, that real world, like more right. visceral feel to it. Now we come out of that into a scene with our old buddy, Jose Yero. Oh yeah. Cochiloco. <laughs> oh my God. The crazy pig. Mr. John Ortiz himself. Yes. Uh, this is probably the, probably the first time he like popped for yeah. me, but I know he was doing stuff before this. Possibly. Uh, a legend uh, in the, I believe, the Chicago theater scene. I yeah. He's a big Chicago guy, hence the Michael Mann connection. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, one of our favorites around here. Always like when he shows up. And this is a, the epitome of like, you want to talk about a carling, a carling, a calling card scene for a young actor of just like, oh, uh, yeah, he just gets to like steal this entire scene for four minutes from Ray Liotta and Jason Patrick. With his dick out. Yeah, with his ass, his bare ass hanging out. And with, I don't think I registered as a I thought as a kid that she was mad at him mm-hmm. and lit his pubic hair on fire. Right. That's what I thought had happened. I did not catch any of the dialogue where he explained, she's been out on the street fucking around on me right and she comes back here <laughs> and she gives me crabs essentially or something worse i'm assuming like we're assuming gonorrhea said it's all like black and blue like gonorrhea chlamydia some kind of eating. who knows some kind of venereal disease for sure and so he lights her hair on fire <laughs> right and i yeah i never fully connected what was going on in this scene and then the uh, the pure absurdity and dark comedy of let me get a hit, man. Like, then I'll talk to you. Look, yeah. I know I'm fucked. I know yeah. I'm going away. <laughs> and Ray Liotta's just like, <laughs> okay. All yeah, right. like, are we really letting this happen? And Jason Patrick, of course, who's used to this shit, is just like, uh, yeah, if you let him, like, let him smoke and he'll, he'll fucking talk. Like, yeah, yeah, we're good. Um, that's the other dynamic. Sorry, I'm jumping all over the place, but that's the other dynamic I love. Is it's not it's not a buddy cop movie. No. It's an interesting partners movie, but it's not a buddy cop movie in the traditional sense at all. These no. guys, they don't, there's no scene where they go out and like have a bunch of beers together and like commiserate over some like normal no, bullshit. The closest you get is the one we're talking about in the car where he lets, he gives him the story of yeah. like, oh, that's the closest you get to them being like, oh, I get where who you are and where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And it's not until later when Jason Patrick tells him like, I ran the name. Like, I think I know what's going on here. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. That he and even in that moment when he's laying all that out, you get the sense that like he's like, I get it. I, okay, I understand you. We had the conversation. Even if we hadn't, even if this was just about keeping this cop's name in good graces and you had no other connection to it, right. I get it. But are we really gonna do that right now? Are we really gonna is this what we're gonna stake our claim on? You know? Oh, and it, sorry. No, go ahead. Hold that thought for two seconds. I just want to I want to jump back, and then we can kind of just move into the ending because I don't yeah. think we're really missing anything. I just wanted to ask you about this thread before we get too much further. Okay. So you have the John Ortiz scene, which, mm-hmm. again, I think is entertaining and, and kind of, like, again, it's darkly comedic, which you need a little bit of, I would argue, in here. Yeah, a little of that Detroit humor. I, you know? I would say you do kind of need it because otherwise it might become too oppressively gritty. Bleak. Yeah. And then we have a scene shortly after this where they follow up the lead from there and we find the dead guy in the bathtub. Yeah. And we get the, oh, he must have been smoking weed and, like, broke his bong accidentally. 
decides to use the shotgun. We don't see like a graphic depiction of it. We hear it described, but like we cut away before we actually see that moment. Again, a moment that's played for laughs, for dark comedy. Right. Almost right on the back of that is when we get into that scene where he tells that very dark story about how he found this little girl and her being abused by her father. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just, for you, how did that play this time? Because I felt like these movies always have a little bit of that. But it was like we're taking all of this so seriously. We start out so grittily or whatever. That does it feel a little gross to like have to still be playing some of this for laughs? Or did it feel like it was a balance? Because, again, you don't really get any levity anywhere else. The the balance in what I'm looking at is what, like, it's the... It's the baby in the shower of it all, if you want to call it that. Because it's like, you see these things, and everything we've seen is the result of an adult person on drugs. And it's been kind of comical. Because like, oh my this bitch, you know, she burned me and he's like, I fucking love you, baby. Oh, the, the end the of that is, to that is incredible. It's like, oh it's my a god. Good woman. It's a good woman. Yeah, that. And then like, you know, he's too lazy to get out of this warm bathtub. What's he gonna do? All because there's no firing pin on the shotgun shell. It's like, oh he must have forgotten there was one in there. Didn't realize it. Tokes up, takes a hit, blow, done. And because it's adults that are doing this to themselves, it's like it kind of has a, a mirror of like we spent all this fucking money fighting the drug war. Like, what are we doing? Like these people are trying to like, they, who cares what they do? But then when you dial it back and say, yeah, but here's an unseen victim in that this guy pimped his daughter out for drug money, rent money because he spent the rent money on drugs, whatever you want to do. Right. So it's that other human toll that's kind of unseen. And like, you know, when you get to the fact and you realize what the ending's all about, which we'll go into, it makes complete sense why Leota flips out when he, Patrick goes to just talk to the wife, the, the right. slain officer's wife. It makes complete sense. So juxtaposing those of like, huh, yeah, you know, you know, really serious. A cop's been killed, but you know, look at what this is doing to this city, these people, you know, it, you're led to believe that if you left them alone long enough, they they wind up being so dumb and fucked up on drugs, they would, you know, just off all off themselves or like they would take care of each other. But when you juxtapose that with that human conversation of like, like when I, I didn't pick up on it the first time I watched it, this is the first time I actually like really paid attention to what he's saying. When he's like, the day she died, I became a better cop. I, I had no fear. Mm-hmm. I went at it full bore. I didn't care because I wasn't worried about going home anymore. And so... You juxtapose that with like, and then I found this little girl and it kind of gave me some kind of humanity back because I saw what it did and I took every, you know, he makes every attempt to like make up for her having a raw deal in life. That's the only thing he thinks he can do. And that starts the weaving back into the ending of the true motivation behind everything. So I think it's nice to get that early on with the juxtaposition because if you're not paying attention, which 
the first round through, I know I wasn't. Again, I wasn't really watching it to talk about it until this time. But having that thread sewn so smoothly at the beginning, when we get to the ending and Jason Patrick starts explaining what he's been doing, you know, because we constantly have him going back looking at everything. He's looked over everything multiple times. That's kind of like his thing. It's just going through the reports, going through the evidence. He's kind of already pieced it together as to what really happened here. But it's not until we get to the ending that he finally has a chance to say, okay, now I can fully flesh all this out and we can get to the bottom of everything. I don't know what that's going to entail. I don't know what it's going to mean, but I'm finally able to do it now. So I don't know. I, I don't, to me, it was just, it was easy to put it in there amidst kind of the dark humor because it does kind of ground it in like, yeah, it is funny that that guy blew his face off and that, you know, this argument happened with these adults with, you know, John Ortiz and all that. But at the end of the day, there's still this like serious, like I said, unseen element of like victim of what drugs do to people that we may not always, you know, we may not always like focus on. I like that read on it a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, that was fantastic, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, I have we a degree can, in that stuff. So, you know, <laughs> we can kind of, uh, we yeah, can move into learned. the back half. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any huge things we're missing other than... They f- they start finding all these different pieces of like police qu- equipment at different places. They find a they- badge at a place where uh, Patrick is wounded and uh, Ray Liotta shoots a guy who they then want... To, the department wants to pen right. the uh, murder of Calvis. Both- I don't think we've said Calvis. Michael Calvis. The yeah. movie definitely says Calvis yeah. about a thousand yeah. fucking times. Uh, what was his... Or Jimmy... Jimmy Franklin? What was this? Jimmy Franks? Jimmy... Now I can't remember. But Michael Calvis. For some reason that name sticks with me. As soon as they said it in the movie, I was like, oh yeah, Michael Calvis. The Michael Calvis case. Oh yeah. How can I forget? Yeah. Uh, Okay. So... They vehemently like, this guy could not have done this. Like, there's no way. He's not the guy. So... Which I'm thinking like, now, you're like, why... We'll, we'll go back to that. Let's go. Let's pin that scene until we get to the put end. a pin in that. Yeah. Okay. Well, basically, it all culminates, and I, this is where I was the structure thing. I was like, all right, there. I was like, they're at the auto body shop. I was like, I think this movie ends here. Yeah. I was like, I don't think we leave. We I said, I don't think we come away from here at all. I don't remember not physical. Yeah. I was like, I don't remember a coda on the end of this or anything. I was like, I think we're here for the duration of this. And it was about 40 minutes left. Right. And I was like, okay, interesting. Yeah. It all goes down here. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. They're about to go in. There's kind of a brief shootout. They find Busta. And I cannot remember the other actor. I don't know that it was anybody. We would probably like, no, no. Uh, This movie continues the grand tradition of featuring a rapper turned actor and playing his music in the scene before mm-hmm. you reveal him. I would love to get a list of all of those movies. Always funny when it happens. You'll play my track. That's the name of the, of the episode when we yes. discuss that. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, basically we realize in the scene, Leota is trying to pin it on these two guys who were there on the right. day of the murder. Uh, tries to plant evidence, tries to get them to confess and 
Patrick could see that like things are escalating. He also, prior to this, finally got some declassified documents that he had been waiting on. Right. He starts to look at them, doesn't get too deep in, and we're like, is he piecing something together? We don't know. And again, by this point, you're you're clearly like, okay, Ray Liotta definitely. There's been so many things that you're like, okay, he's trying to like steer the narrative in this one direction. Anytime anybody talks about him being a junkie or like not being a good dude, they like he like flips out on him. Mm-hmm. Like, what was the case? What was going on here? Um, and then when he gets pissed when Patrick like interviews the wife, you're also a little bit like, okay, is there a weird dynamic with him and the wife and like maybe he was trying to off the husband because Mm -hmm. things were complicated you know anyways we get the grand reveal that i mean am i missing anything no you're spot on and they basically they they they're at a point where ray leota is basically like i'm gonna go he's basically got him to like go outside get the kit. We, if we're going to do this, we're going to frame them. We're going to make this stick. We got to do it by the book, go out to the car, get the kit and come back. And the minute he's gone, he locks the door on him and he goes back to him. He's like, you guys need to listen. You need to fucking listen to me right now. Beforehand, you said, you know, who killed him? Why? And he basically, he gets told because your boy Oak was there. Like he saw this go down, you know, why? Because your boy Calvis was a fucking junkie. He'd been under too long. He got hooked on the shit. So he started bringing us guns. He started bringing us police IDs. How the fuck do you think he knew? He knew. How the fuck do you think you know that Dowd knew you were a cop? Fucking Calvis gave you up. He gave up everybody who was a known cop. Fucking all of us knew he was a undercover. Yeah. But we all still sold to him. And so we, this he, guy he, you've been trying to avenge. Right. Because you think it's going to bring, you know... The desk job you so you, you want. Not only that, but you think it's going to be some virtuous act of like, oh, I redeemed this guy who was slain, who could have been me. He brings that up to his wife multiple times. Like, right. what if it was me? I'm going to bring all of this to justice. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to, like, salvage something out of all of this. And to realize that, like, no, the dude you've been trying to save along, you know you know figure out the murderer of and save the image of is the reason you're in the spot you're in right exactly now. Yeah. is and so that moment when it escalates to he he has to put leota down because leota is literally about to shoot busta in the face after he breaks back in and all of that well no because he finally he goes out to the car and he confronts him about it right now he's oh like, yes and he beats the you know, tell me this doesn't show. happen and they basically they you know they fight he says i'm going back in there i'm getting this on the tape and i'm ending this yeah and of course, you know, it's game time and he winds up having to shoot him. And in the his dying breath, he basically explains to us that, yeah, he was there. That, you know, yeah, the guy did get shot because they, they show you the shoulder injury he's got. He said, you know, Calvis was there. He shot at him. And then he basically, Leota confronted him and was like, I had heard about this. I didn't want to believe it. You know, blah, 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 blah. Why the fuck are you doing this? But we're also told before all this that the main reason is that the little girl that he saved wound up dating and marrying Calvis, this cop. Yeah. So it was never really about him. It was about her because if he dies in the line of duty, he gets full pension and his wife and surviving children are set. And if it's ever discovered what really happened, which we find out is that, you know, basically confronted with like, ah, fuck, I'm a junkie. 
you know, it's all over for me. Instead of trying to work with, you know, Leota getting detoxed and getting out of it, he just was like, fuck it, I'm just going to kill myself. Hmm. Because for a while there, you're thinking, like we thought, oh yeah, Leota is the one who put him down. He had to, you know, but, you know, but the, you know, the shot and then like him going and like reacting to that in the flashback and you don't see his body. Like it's just that the, the frame holds and it's just Ray Liotta reacting to all that. And, you know, then of course we pull back and it's like, he's giving you this confession, but it does what I love. Probably the thing I love the most about the movie is gives you this confession. It shows you that, you know, Buster and his partner, they run out into the street. They get stopped by the police and basically he's left with minutes to decide, well, what do I do? Do I go through with this and say, it was these two, we were questioning them because no cop is going to believe these two guys. They got evidence. They got all this stuff. All he has to do is say, yeah, we found the gun in here. We were going outside to process, process the scene. They got loose. They shot him. He got my gun. They shot my partner. It's these two. They're going up there and they'll go away for it. You know? But it, the movie ends with us wondering. He's got seconds to figure out what he's going to do. And we don't know what he does. Mm-hmm. And we're just left with like, what do we do? I don't know if that falls. Very, fall, very fall, 70s. Yes, very 70s. I don't, I don't know if that falls flat for some people. But I. that's one of the reasons I thought it did to me at least still held up. Was because I was, it's like, boom. So I vaguely remember I like I was like I know um, Leota's character throws around the end bomb a couple times in this prior I was like that's kind of an element of the character I was like I remember we also end this with you know two <laughs> African American characters being like strapped to a table and basically about to be framed for something that they didn't do I was like I remember all of this I was like I don't quite remember how it shakes out. And I don't remember if the representation of all of that is like meant to be as textured as it is or not. And going back to it, I was like, no, it 100% is. And even though it's kind of a wink and you wish it was a little bit more about that, it's still there in the performance specifically at Buster Rhymes. But he has that. He's like, no, you guys just want to stick it to us because, you know, if you stick it to a couple of black guys, it's going to get stuck. And the to me, the movie also, it doesn't need to give you that shot of the two of them getting out to the police mm-hmm. and they're tied up and everything. The implication to me being there that it's like, it looks like something like bad was going on. Like mm-hmm. they were being tortured or whatever. Right. So they at least have that on their side of it, but there's a closing shot of Busta Rhymes and he, the pain in his face of like being to me, you didn't need like the movie did not need to include that shot if it didn't want to, like, hey, we are kind of trying to say something about here about, like, hey, it is pretty fucked up that in an effort to protect their own, right. like, we will just blame this shit on the black people of Detroit. Like, that's... When, when, that is, when, when, yes. the fucking case is closed. Exactly. Why really? That's the only problem I have with the movie. Why, Ray Liotta, do you not go along with, this dude did it, he killed Calvis, and the investigation is done. You're surrogate daughter is still going to get all the fucking benefits. You got a low life off the street. And if you really are paying attention now, you'll see, but guys, I think Ray Liotta blamed the two of them for making him a junkie. That's why he has to put them down. Well, for no, this. I don't even think it's so much that I oh, know he does. Tra- he says it flat out. Like they're, they got him high. They well, got him. They hooked him on drugs, but I think he's also trying to close the loop 
Because bottom line, those guys were there. Right. They saw him. They knew they were... Now, Grant, like you said, what cop's going to believe them? Right. And what circumstances are they ever going to, like, come in and say that? But I do think it's also... The reason he needs it to lead all the way back up this chain to those guys is because that's where he wants... He wants it to be them. That's the closed loop. These guys who got him hooked, they're the ones who did him in. It's them specifically. Right. And he's like, this guy is too small a fish, essentially. One last thing I want to say before we wrap up. Again, I think Leota's pretty top-notch. I think this is one of his best performances, period, in career in his career. Obviously, Goodfellas is going to probably be the topper forever. We're also big fans of Killing uh, killing Them Softly. He's great in there. What about uh, Spoken Aces? Smoking Aces, which is Carnan's follow-up, which yeah. I think leans into the comedic touches that you see present in the John Ortiz scene, for instance. That kind of like dark grimy but like we're having fun here i think smoking aces is that writ large and then that carries you into like if we mute this down a little bit make it a little more palatable we got the a-team because that's kind of the tone of the a-team is a little bit of like fuck you but like it's a night it's kind of nice about it you know what i'm saying uh i still i and i never saw the gray never saw the gray really good to be honest with you i know people are big fans of no i'm see like i put the gray over any of the Taken movies. It's so fucking good. Okay. Like, what a, and I don't know if he's done a lot recently, <clears throat> if he's got something on the, but I think he, um, didn't he, he just got do the blacklist? The... Like, he was an executive producer on the blacklist. He's directed a few episodes of it. Yes. Um, uh, boss level, the Gibson, Frank that, Grillo. Oh, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, him. Yeah. Which I should have, excuse was, me. Boss level is great. No, watch that. Huge, huge mistake on my part. And this is why I wanted to see it. In the first place, did you see this shit? What? Cop Shop. He did Cop Shop. Oh, no, I, I need to watch it. I was excited to see Cop Shop just based on the trailer, and I had no idea it was a You know, engine. that was on my year-end list to get to. I circled it, but I didn't. I never went back and watched it. I feel like we may, uh, yeah, we may have to give that one a spin and, and talk about it soon. That's, is that streaming somewhere yet? I might be. It, I'm seeing here Rentable on Prime. I still got a gift card. Maybe we'll... Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll do that. All right, yeah. Maybe we'll check in with a modern car in hand. The last thing I wanted to say, uh, we don't have to like go through the whole career retrospective and everything, but uh, there's a handful of guys who I, I wish we could just, I, I don't know where I would sub them in or like what project I would change or whatever, but Jason Patrick, uh, I mean, he's, he's the son of maybe the most underrated actor in the history of movies, in my opinion. Jason Miller from The Exorcist is yeah. that is still one of the most brilliant oh, yeah. top to bottom performances like one of my 10 favorite performances by an actor of all time probably in that movie I think he's incredible and his granddad's Jackie Gleason yes and who's his mom I don't know just some lady I guess you know Hollywood <laughs> what an asshole okay but I just I've always loved him I've always dug his vibe um I realize he doesn't work in everything, but I just, I feel like he has he, way more range than people give him credit for. The thing I want to point out in this movie that I loved going back to it, that I noticed more than anything, here's how dialed in I think he is. The modulation of the performances, given the context that the character is in. Right. Nick Tellis. Tellis, yeah. Tellis. He is, you, like, 
you see the levels of performance because this is a guy who's been in deep cover, who's been in these high stakes situations where you've got to put on a character and right. everything. But you see the difference in performance between the way he is with his wife at home when they're in good spirits versus when they're kind of at odds with each other over the intensity of all of this. When he's got to be bureaucratic with higher authorities. Yeah, you see how he is flippantly with that board, but then you see the way he talks to Chai McBride, who he seems to at least somewhat respect, even begrudgingly. Yeah. You see the way he interacts with those, and then you see the way he can totally modulate when he goes into having to deal with people in the streets with, with his, Frederick, yeah. his you know, fellow drug dealers and drug users, etc. And you just constantly see him modulating, giving the situation. When they go in to like roll rough on the dude who ends up uh, winging him in like the back of the neck and like Leota has to put down the one they try and frame. He's just... He's given all the shit. He comes like, one in, thing you he didn't is, know. He's the bad cop. Like Leota doesn't say a thing in that scene. And Jason Patrick just comes in and just like lays it fucking down, like, you know, lays down the law. But it's a completely different vibe than the way he approached John Ortiz's character. And you see, that's what I'm saying is you see he's playing very much the same character. It's not like the, the performance is yeah, all over the yeah, place. He's a narc. Exactly. I'm saying you just the levels of modulation to the performance given who he's talking to is so subtle but specific at the same time. I think it's just... Yet again, it's it's one of those performances that's so good you you don't notice how good it is. And I think I because think it's that's just what's doing missing its from job. Rush. Because I don't think whoever directed it gave him the ability to do to move throughout that. Because he kind of has one tone throughout that entire movie. That's and my it's like, memory. I look like Lindsay Buckingham, and I do drugs. <laughs> I'm an undercover police officer. Fucking Sam Elliott's in that movie. Jennifer Jason Lee plays more of the. She like, gets the yeah. She gets the up and she's the weight the, yeah. of it. Yes. And yeah, it's more the tragedy of like her like falling for it. I remember bits and pieces. Getting, no, I, exactly. And I remember getting to Rush and being like, "This is his movie, right? This is the one that like should have made him pop. This is the one everybody talks about." Because like when I was like, "Oh, he's one of my dudes," that was the one to go to essentially. And I remember watching it and feeling the exact same way you did, which was like, "I mean, I liked him in it because." I mean, he's Jason Patrick. I liked it, but like, yeah. And I feel like it probably, in retrospect, I didn't have as much of an eye or a nose for this at the time. But like, it was probably was more the style of the movie and the direction around it. Not what if, what his if he is Jack Travis in Speed? What do you mean? Like, what if he is like he's Keanu's character? Oh, in the first, first time, first go round, and then they move it into like now they're on vacation together. You know, it's a couple months after all they've met or whatever. They've been dating for six months. Let's go on vacation. Oh, you told me you were done with this high stakes stuff, Jack. Like you're gonna you're gonna take a desk job, and then it's like, oh, now I gotta deal with this guy on this boat for you, like kind of thing. Do you think it would be too much of them pushing like a John McClane kind of diehard thing, where like he's always in the wrong place, wrong time, or would it be moving more towards like, oh, is is Jack Travis like a book series we don't know about? Because I, I feel like if you put him in speed, the first one well, that would just be his... Okay, well, that and that was the intention, of course, is that it should have been Jack in the second one. Right. Keanu wasn't available, so they had to do this whole weird rewrite. And then you get... I, I think about Jason Patrick in that scenario where it's like, oh, well, it's Speed 2, and, it, like, the movie, first movie was so huge. Like, it's a great opportunity, but it's like... 
it's like the kind of the once upon a time in Hollywood, like the Marvin Schwartz yeah. seed where it's like, well, yeah, but everybody else just sees you as like Bobo Keanu Reeves now. Right. And like, do you want to be Bobo to somebody who people at the time were still like, he's kind of, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Even after Speed. Speed no, one, no one Speed in the 90s thought Keanu was Keanu. That's until what I'm saying. Speed was a hit because of the concept and because of Sandra Bullock. Right. Being like this breakout performance in it. And like Keanu was kind of a byproduct of like, oh, he kind of holds his own. And like the people, and who, kid? people yeah. who knew were like, I feel like in the moment were like, Point Break is a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. But that was a very small minority compared to the amount of people now who are like, no, it is one of the 10 greatest action films ever made. And it is an absolute classic of the genre. Yeah. But at the time, I feel like he still wasn't, you know, he got no respect. Yeah. And now I know, I mean, I mean we all what vehicle. Do you put him in to come back in? Like assuming he wants to, we're talking about Jason. Peck. Yes. What do you, what do you do for him? Do you, do you give him a, do you give him a true detective like series on HBO? 110%. Okay. I mean, you're already, true because detective. again, four, watching this, watching this now, I'm like, this is in so many ways. I'm like this, this would, that's the thing. This now would just be a TV show. Yeah, and no, that's I, what I kind of loved about it is as much as I, I sat there and I was like, oh, yeah, this simultaneously feels like a product of this is a little bit more low budget. than, And it's back when they were still making things like this that were like, well, it's got a little bit of money. It's got some juice behind it. Six but like, million, yeah. But, but it's not it's not this giant well, thing. Well, apparently but, they did work for free for a little bit and they like gave up their paycheck so crew could get paid because they really liked Joe Carney and they really wanted this movie to get made. So... I could appreciate that for him. And I think but you could really, the, fuck, don't call it narc, but pull that character, that that Nick Tellis out and like flesh him out in a 10 episode series, limited series on HBO and give him that like, give him his, uh, I know this much is true moment thing or him, his pretty little, big little lies thing where he gets like a 10 episode arc to just show you how fucking good I, he is. On a note of the budget. I feel like that third act, I'd be very curious, but I'm like, the fact that it does all of a sudden feel like, oh shit, we got to wrap this up. And like, we've got this warehouse stage to do it in and the parking lot outside. Let's get it done. You know what I'm saying? Like all of the threads have to come together there. I wonder how much of that was like, that's how it was originally scripted. Or there is a bit of it that just feels like, oh, we got to we got to get it all in. We got to tell the whole story, even if we got to do flashbacks and like, you know, go back and do reshoots for the cutaways. Or all I know is that Jason Packard went on record and said it was like one of the most hellacious places to shoot and be in because it was a legit, like just vacant factory. It looks like the end of French connection. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I feel like very intentionally. So, um, yeah, the only thing that's missing is the, the Chirons at the end telling you what happened to everybody. Uh, and a brilliant chase scene with cars. True. I feel like again the opening of this goes a long way to oh, like, yeah. you know, I don't I don't need much in the action department from this after that. But uh we get a little bit of again convincing shootouts I feel like for the most part like mm-hmm. on the roof and everything and um yeah. They look like, you know, th- maybe this isn't like Michael Mann levels of uh on-screen cop confidence. Yeah, oh, Maybe they didn't Patrick put him through the Michael ringer. Movie, but uh, oh, oh, there you go. That's what we need. Mike right Jason here. Patrick and lead in a Michael yeah, Mann I don't, movie. That's I, I just 
he has this very particular intensity to him that I've always enjoyed. Um, he's one of those people that goes high when he gets emotional, which I love. I don't, you know, he hits this pitch that you don't necessarily expect. It goes back to fucking Lost Boys, yeah. but like he's still, you know. Um, Children of the Night, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Sam! <laughs> Sam, you, your brother! Sammy, come on! Sammy, it's me! It's me! Um, I didn't invite you this time, Max. <laughs> so is mine! So is mine! Uh, great stuff. We've talked. We, I yeah, could, really we, just, I wanted to talk Patrick. I just, I just kind of wanted to shout him out. I do. I think this is the performance I wanted Rush to be. And this was the late quote unquote late period performance where I was like, this should have been a catapult to, yeah, let's, this should have been his Tarantino as comeback movie in a movie right. that's not a Tarantino movie, you know? Like, yeah. Oh, we forgot about that guy. Yeah, but. and I mean, you know, I don't like to. I don't like to be that guy. I don't like to be the one that's always got to be like, well, you know, why don't we, why, why don't we take a minute and think about where we were? But this is two thousand two. This is I don't know when it was shot, but this is two thousand two. We're in the midst of, we're a year after nine eleven. We're kind of figuring out what we want to do with ourselves. The first little bit of, of uh, Marvel, you know, superhero movies have come out. So you're right. We're very in this vein of like these movies don't get made anymore. They are now, but they're on Netflix and Hulu. They're not made for mass consumption in a studio audience. You know what I mean? Like a, a huge like you know audience. What are you oohing and on at over there? I mean, it's not like it's gonna be great. But uh, you got my two, you got your pick for this. For no, the- um. I have a film called Nightshade that I'd like to tell you a little bit about. Oh, okay. Nightshade. Yes. Um, Nightshade is a mystery thriller. Hey, just quit looking. I'm going to tell you about it. Okay, tell me. It's a 2022 release. It's available for rent on Prime right now. Okay. When a homicide detective's disturbing dreams reveal parallels to an ongoing investigation, he must do whatever it takes to discover (laughs) his connection to the brutal killings. And this film, uh, again, called Nightshade, stars one Miss Dina Mayer of Starship Troopers fame. Con- oh, Desi? Okay. Come on. Diz. Diz, excuse yeah. me. Who's supposed to be a Mexican-American gentleman, by the way. Lou Ferrigno Jr. <laughs> okay. Jason Patrick. It doesn't look like he's the detective, unfortunately. And uh, one Mr. James Duvall. What? So is Patrick the bad guy, you think? I don't know. I'd like it if he was a serial killer, because that's one thing I will say. People don't talk about the losers that much. He's a fucking good bad guy in that movie. He is a good bad guy. I mean, I feel like he has real like bad guy energy. Uh-huh. And that's the thing, is like maybe nobody has properly Because there's that scene where, where Holt, Holt Mecklen, like he throws him off the roof. He's like, what the hell was that? And he's like, what? He's like... That was a, I'm done with him look, not a throw him off the roof look. I forgot because I never watched this show, but Wayward Pines, oh, which was the... The second season, dude, he is really fucking good at Okay, it. which was the sh- and I haven't seen any of it. You should watch it. But a sh- basically a Shyamalan pseudo-Twin Peaks, 
And it was Matt Dillon in the first season. Yes. Who I adore. Yes. And Jason Patrick in the second season. And I always told myself, you need to watch that show. And you I do. never did it. Yeah. Well, I'll give you... Um, what is it? 20 episodes total? Maybe. If that. It's free on IMDb TV. It's one of those that, like, when you watch them, you'll be, you'll be pissed that they never were able to come back with a third season. Okay. Which leads me hope that in 17 years, we'll get a return. A la Twin Peaks. No, but and I will like, tell you, it legit. is not. It is not Twin Peaks. Okay. At all. Ah, God damn it! I wish. No, no, it, no. I'm telling you because you seem like that was the reason why you weren't going to get involved. Was like no, okay. that was the only thing that intrigued me about it. Is I was hoping it was like Shyamalan trying to do Twin Peaks. It's not him. It's it's his version of Twin Peaks. Again, that interests me. I would watch that, in, but I still have his way of like. Oh no, they're so not. They're not really in a village. They're just in like a fucking preserve because of some bad shit that happened to their families a long time ago. So they're, it just really isn't, you know, back in the day, like we're thinking. It's that kind of like mentality is the reason behind. It's kind of far-fetched, but it also is like, oh yeah, I would totally be down for that. Like, can I join? Like, can I do that? So watch it and tell me what you think. I think we might have a lifetimer on our hands here. The girl in the bathtub? What? Based on the real-life mystery surrounding the death of Julia Law, a young paralegal whose body was found in the apartment of her boss and lover, a prominent Philadelphia lawyer, was it murder or something more complicated? What could be more complicated than murder? It looks like Jason Patrick is the boss. Oh, God. So he's maybe he's kind Jason of... Jason Patrick is the girl in the bathtub. Oh, my God. <laughs> maybe, he's, maybe he's embraced that in his later years. Like, he's just like, you know what? I had Dude, my shot, it is just, and I'm just going to be the bad guy. It is one. just it. slim pickings for our boy, man. I just... There's a gem out there I'm sure we can find. I would like to find one. You know what he could have been? You know what he would have been great at? He'd have been a great Abe in Lupa. I was going to say, somebody needed to transition us at some point. Um. Yeah. Okay, Narc... Pretty much a thumbs up going back to yeah. it. Not not any I will say now though, having rewatched it, I'm like, probably never gonna watch this movie again. Yeah, no. I watched it a bunch when I first got it on DVD though. This was one of those I'm twelve and this movie's hard as shit. Like, yeah. I feel like a badass. I do always remember one last thing I will say on the note of Narc. I went to go buy it at Walmart and when I got it. It was that bullshit full screen, man. Oh, yeah. That made me so angry because my entire collection up to that point, all widescreens. And then I had this one full screen. I don't know. Like, who? (laughs) Just the fact that they they would take the time to make two separate versions. And they would have, what? One's a red brim. One's a blue brim. Just what a waste of so much money and paper and plastic. Yeah, you wonder why things are streaming nowadays. Yeah. You wonder why DVDs never quite made it. Yeah. Because you wasted too much time on full and widescreen. But anytime you would go to Big Lots or anything like that, you're all, it's just a pile of full screen copies of movies that nobody wants. <laughs> full screen copies of movies are like the fucking shirts that they send to Africa of the losing team of the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, everything, get them like, hey, we, we printed these up because, you know, one of them had to win, and they didn't win, so we're going to send them to a fucking, you know, 
orphanage in need in the Congo. That's what full. They're like we used, we used to burn these in a public square, but but now we send them to charity. Yeah. You know why Detroit was always on fire? We were burning full frame oh DVDs copies. Full frame DVD. God. You know, dude, what? it's like disco sucks, but it's just full frame DVDs suck. Oh my god! Well, if we're not gonna have baseball this year, somebody could probably get that going. Just come to a stadium, burn your fucking full okay, DVD. Dude, you gave us a segue, and we're so not using it. I know. 2012's Looper. Looper from the uh, controversial, <laughs> shall we say? Why? Why is he controversial? Because uh, all the Star Wars fans hate him. Why that's they, that's it. Why do they hate him? Because he made the Last Jedi. Arguably the best movie in the whole fucking franchise, so you can all shut your mouths, internet. Come at us. Who shot Rogue One? Who made that? Uh, Like, a couple different people. No. Um, Who... So it was originally Gareth... Edwards, yeah. Edwards, the Godzilla guy. Not Gareth Evans, the cool one. The raid guy. Yeah. It was Gareth Edwards originally... But then I think Ron Howard based, finished it. No, that's that's solo. solo. No, if I'm not mistaken, Tony Gilroy. Okay. Uh, came in and uh, knocked out our boy from uh, previously discussed two by two, Michael Clayton. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that yeah. guy. I'm pretty sure Tony Gilroy came in and finished up the back half of that. Well, I mean, I like Rogue One. I thought it was good. I liked the Last Jedi. I thought The Last Jedi was, like, arguably a borderline masterpiece. I thought Rogue One was okay. <laughs> I thought it was fine. I just like the way that, like, they were sitting in the X-Wings, and you could, like, look out, and they were, like, hovering over. It gave me a depth of feel, and I saw yeah. how, like, they put screens of what they would see in the cockpit to, like, mimic that. I thought that was, like, a neat, neat choice. It felt like the most grounded Star Wars I've ever seen. Like, there had to be people on the ground doing Because shit. that's... That's what, what I, I want, want from my Star Wars. Wars. I want yeah. it to feel ground. I do. I want. I don't want to plan it. I up. want to be able to relate to these droids, yes. bro. I want to know that Bob Ufrick, what's going on? Yes. <laughs> I need to know what's going on with Jin, and I need to, you know, uh, save the what Republic, save the dream, whatever the hell Force Whitaker was yelling about. But that doesn't compare to Lupa, the best science fiction movie of 2012. The best science fiction movie up till uh, up until that point since Moon, and easily one of the top five best time travel movies of all time. What What are the other ones? I guess Terminator, Back to the Word. Future, Word, Twelve Monkeys, Word, La Jete. Yeah, well, then yeah. just pick one of the, one right, of the other. If I'm going, <laughs> if I have to pick, then it's La Jete over Twelve Monkeys. Um, most pretend- that is the most indie, pretentious thing you have ever said on this podcast. What? Well, between the two, clearly La Jete. Well, you have to argue if La Jete is even a movie. If it's just a if it, is it a movie? What's the is, fifth one? God damn it. The fifth one. Well, we said this was... What yeah. did you name four? How many did you name? I named Looper. Looper. The Terminator. Yes. Back to the Future. Yes. La Jete. These were all off the dome too. Well, yeah, and we're we're clipping twelve monkeys. So yeah, what's the? Um, if I'm gonna have to pick a new fifth one, um, what is a good? I'm, now now I'm gonna draw a blank trying to come up with a fifth one. I have no. Eh, I don't know. What do you? A what's... kid in King Arthur's court. 
Kin Aladdin's palace. That's not time travel. Martin just... Lawrence's Black Knight. You're <laughs> traveling into the past. That is clearly time travel. But all of those have something. They loop now. They're all trapped those, in the past movies. All of those are a loop where there's like a, you, there's not. No, this, no, Gavin, this movie is a loop. <laughs> They're all loop. You're getting confused, man. <laughs> this one's the loop. <laughs> You're telling me Black Knight's a looper? Yes. You're t- <laughs> yes. trying to think of some Black other like obscure ones. Come on. Oh my, dude, why are we blanking on time travel movies? Time after time? Right? Yeah. That's primer, the... maybe? Primer? People talk primer a lot? I mean, yeah. Fuck Shane Carruth, but... Uh, yeah. Is it Shane Carruth? I think so. Yeah, fuck that guy, but uh, I did like that movie. Yeah. Um, Synchronic? That would be, yeah, Synchronic would be my fifth in terms of time travel. And what it, I mean, it's not about time travel. It just that's a thing in the movie. Time cop, time cop. Sure, I, yeah. I like the movie Time Cop. <laughs> the Van Damme vehicle. I like time Money cop. Pit. <laughs> I like Time I Cop. I do not like The Godfather. The splits. It's insistent upon itself. <laughs> it insists upon itself. Yeah, I don't know why that's like. I mean, again, I know that's way more your show, but for some reason that bit <laughs> makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> Well, how can you... I've never finished it. What? You've never finished it? How can you say you don't like it if you've never finished it? It insists upon itself, Lois. Of course it insists. It's insistent. Looper. Looper. We're, the year's 2044. No matter, here's the beauty. No matter the tangent, we'll always loop, loop right back. back. I don't know why I'm like... Having so much fun with this word, one yeah. uh, for the, a movie that I genuinely, oh, I, I went back to and I was like, dude, why did you wait this long to rewatch this movie? Yeah. I've, uh, so good. Careful with the cords. Just loop careful it back. With the, loop it back in. Careful with the jerking your head Just backwards. loop the cord back in. We're fine. Can you hear okay? Yeah. Can you yeah. hear okay in both mm-hmm. your headphones? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Looper from 2012. You want to give him a, a plot synopsis? It's 2044. In 30 years, time travel will be invented. And instantly outlawed. Now, the only thing to choose for is by the criminal underworld to send back people they want disappeared. And it's all going well until that one day that your own self gets sent back in time and you have to murder him. And you're like, I end up looking like Bruce Willis. Motherfucker. (laughs) Son of a bitch. Yeah. Or you're like, oh, I got the best bald head the world has to offer truly the best chrome dome in the biz what if like that happens and he shoots him and he just goes to like you know move the body and like a harmonica just falls right out of his pocket <laughs> you're like oh god damn it but you've seen like you know because you see joseph beloved practicing like jam, like you know saxophone and then like the, the harmonica falls out and you're like shit you know yeah it it's completely original there's do you want me to read you the rules I can read you the rules of this. I don't know if you've ever like fleshed them out or like looked to see, you know, what's what. Uh, no, sure. Enlighten me. I have to find them. I had them up just a second ago. So essentially, if you know, your internet's being stupid. So, again, it's the near future. There really isn't a lot changed, and that's what I enjoy about it. It's not a. It's not Low like a fi sci fi. Right. Like, I would argue that, like... I, where... 
where is the budget for these sort of movies right now? They get turned into series or Netflix movies? I just, 30 mil, right? Is that what I saw? 30 mil, yeah. 30 mil. And it's it's one of the most unique, engaging, and like the world building is phenomenal. And he does it on what feels like a shoestring, but you don't feel it at all. So good. But yes. That's what happens when you don't have a studio calling the shots. They give you the money, you go make the movie, and they're like, hey, okay, yeah, I can, I can get behind this. Yes. And they don't question it. I don't think that this doesn't feel... This feels like he had complete control. I don't know. I didn't get that far in the in the research, but definitely feels like you know what he brought to the table. They were like, "Oh, okay, yeah, sure, why not?" And I'm pretty sure this one had been, from what I remember, around the time and various commentaries. I think this one had been in the hopper for a while as a dream project. Like he had this this outline. I believe like either pre brick. Or right in the aftermath of Brick. Right. But it was clearly one that it's like, okay, well, I'm going to need I'm gonna need a little bit more money for that. So I kind of need the proving ground. Brick comes out. He's hot shit. That's not a movie that like lights the box office on fire or anything. But it's a total critical darling and a real calling card. A real right. like, this, this dude is something. We need to keep our eyes on him. And then Brothers Bloom comes out. A movie I fucking adore. But I feel like nobody paid attention to at all when it came out. Probably. And has not really gotten the proper reassessment I think that it deserves. Uh, Fantastic Ruffalo. I mean, he's great in everything. But in a mode that you don't, you're not quite used to seeing him in. And great Adrian Brody as well. And it's essentially, it kind of shows you a different shade of him that he can do that you, I think you see more of as his career goes on and definitely there's a lot of it in his star Wars movie. Right. Um, and there's a lot of it in knives out, which is the dude likes to laugh. Oh yeah. Even, even when he's, you know, throwing a lot at you, uh, concept wise and maybe, maybe gets a little heady. Um, there's always, there's always some humor to string you along. Even in Brick, which is a pretty, you know, pretty dark, brooding movie that still has some huge laughs in it. But Brothers Bloom is essentially, it's just like an out-and-out caper almost with some dramatic stakes to it. But, like, it's a fun romp. It's a ride. It's, it's kind of, I think people were saying it at the time, but it's very much like if Wes Anderson directed Ocean's Eleven or something. Like, it's that right. that vibe. Kind of a twee take on a caper movie. Um, and I think it's a lot of fun. And I think it holds up. And it's one I would like to actually go back to because it's been a while. So he's coming off the back of that, which was a little bit more mixed. It was not as beloved uh, as Brick. Right. So I think him going genre and, like, sticking with his boy, his kind of initial muse, mm-hmm. JGL, somebody I would like to see come back into the Ryan Johnson fold a little bit more. He's always been present in all the movies, but I even the star Wars. Yeah. Who was he in that? He's a voice in the Cantabite sequence or something. Um, he's in there. They worked. That's right. I remember him saying something about that. And of course he's in the, the show within a show in knives out. Oh yeah. The soap opera that they're watching. 
I don't even think you see him on camera. You just hear him yeah, delivering we'll dialogue. I thought, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, time travel. You want to hear the rules, the laws. Oh, yeah. Did okay. you get them up? Time travel cannot be adjusted. Time travel is a one-way ticket. Both versions of yourself can exist. Time travel is illegal. You can't do it. You might, You may communicate across time. And the future has infinite possibilities. So, we've always heard, like, every movie up until this point, you know, Back to the Future 2, all that, you can't go back in the past and see yourself back then. You'll cause a rift in space-time. Right. But what this movie says is, oh, no, you can because, you know, you exist from one point to the time in the future that we send you back and you're in a loop plain and simple looper boom right the idea and premise is this guy joe our boy ggl he's a looper and he basically works you know for the mob as a contract killer and it seems like uh, to be clear this seems like the easiest of course easiest job Mm -hmm. on the planet Mm-hmm. I don't know how the setups are for everybody because we only see like one or two of them but for JGL you get to drive out in the middle of a cornfield you're learning French on the way right you're just hanging out and then you just gotta make sure you're at this place at a particular time boom somebody pops up you shoot them we're talking like milliseconds right and then you're done dude that opener dude then I guess you just got oh a great so Veronica, Veronica had never seen this movie. Oh God! I and I, I loved throwing this on where she immediately was just like, "Wait, what the fuck just happened?" A dude just like materialized out of thin air. Wait a sec! I thought Joe Gordon-Levitt was just talking French. Like, what the fuck's going on? And then boom, he killed him. It just she immediately was like, "What the what? Right. What?" And you imagine I'm like, this is the kind of thing you read like the opening description of this in a script, and you're like. Oh, fuck, we got to make this, right? Yeah. We got to fucking make this. It doesn't matter what comes after this no, at all. This is it. This conceit of like, wait, what? Like, um, you and go then immediately, the, you go and immediately that? into the narration where he's like, time travel hasn't been invented yet, but 30 years from now, it will be. And you're like, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Hell I'm yeah. I'm in. You literally, you, this is what you shoot. This is what you spend your your advance from your your backers or whatever who want to help you get it made you shoot this five minute scene and you pitch that to everybody and you say we like to break we want to make the rest of this movie are you in or are you out and they're like yes here's 30 million dollars go make it yeah yeah so yeah that's essentially his deal killer opening and then you've got all this voiceover with him bringing you into the world and like i I love how economical it is because to me it doesn't overstay its welcome. Mm-mm. It does not turn into a Blade Runner sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it does throw a lot at you, but the the clarity of it and the way it kind of like he tells you something once, you see it in practice, and then there's a payoff to it. Right. Like everything kind of happens in threes. It doesn't overwhelm. Like I think the first time through. In general, it can be a little bit like, uh, oh, shit, I'm a little lost here. Right. But 
definitely going back to it now. I'm like, it just just what Ryan are, Johnson does best. He more so than Nolan, who I think people used to say this about, but he he's just a Swiss watch fucking filmmaker, dude. There's not a wasted frame in any of his movies. It's all everything is narrative. Mm-hmm. Everything you're seeing at any given point is telling you a story. And this is you could use this as a criticism because this starts to get into that um, it's an issue and not really an issue but like Tarantino is somebody that comes to mind where I'm like his movies are very rarely about anything right you know what I mean the movies are about their plots and their characters within them mm-hmm. but there are very rarely grander themes you could put on now when you move into the back half of his career maybe it's a little bit of a different story Mm -hmm. but in in most of his movies are just they're just about the story the entertainment factor that's it they're not there's no grander theme they're made for you to come watch them they're not made for you to think about after you're done theoretic other than than wanting to revisit those moments again yeah very much so and ryan johnson i think you can you can accuse a bit of Yes, these are like perfectly crafted, but they're not necessarily saying anything. But I don't necessarily think that all movies have to at the same time. You know what I'm saying? This one, like this one, just I don't know. This one, there is there are things that this one does say, particularly about violence and like what it means and what your what its place is in the world and how your your choices and decisions affect you your entire life. Like it's it's very. I I was gonna say that's. I was going to say that as a a highlight or a feature of this one. Right. That I think it transcends that where his some of his movies can feel a little insular and like, oh, they were just kind of about this like magic trick sort of like cool reveal moment sort of thing. Um where whereas like Brick, even though it has emotions to it, it's more it is a more stylish movie. Like that's what sticks with you. Right. Is the style not necessarily like the emotional journey of no, no, it's the all characters like, and all of it. When when you um, watch Brick, you're like, this fucking guy loves noir. Like he just loves Yeah, you're like, noir. this guy loves movies and gets genre and likes playing with genre. Right. So I think that's what we kind of initially had him pegged as. And when you get to this, that is like, okay, dude, you're throwing your hat into you're the time travel sci sci fi realm and you're going to just be like well, this is the sci-fi movie I have always wanted to see. And one of his other biggest influences, that it's one of the biggest threads throughout all of these movies, even Knives Out to a certain extent, which may not seem totally obvious, this dude fucking loves anime. Oh, yeah. So much. Mm-hmm. And there are so few filmmakers that are able to bring elements of anime that would not seem like the most immediately obvious to you right. and bring them into live action in ways that totally play and don't feel like, Oh, this is a rip off or a riff, right. but it's that, you know, amalgamation stew sort of thing. And that's the thing I notice more and more when I go back to this and like the kind of just slightly upgraded, like we're still living in like, Kind of a normal society. We're There's in, just these few elements that yeah, are like it's not that's, cranked that's up. the thing I appreciate because in any of these, I think you watch a movie that has something to do with time travel. You watch it for the future. You watch it for right. what it's going to be. You don't. So when you set one like 
Okay, I I mentioned Terminator. That's set in the time that it's made in. It's set in the 80s. It's not like, well, this is 1997, and it's not Escape from New York. It's not made in 81, set in 97. It's made in 84, assume it's present day. But the opening of that, where it's like, this is this will happen to us. These machines will roll over all these fucking skulls because, you know, we're going to be enslaved by machines. That's what you go to for, to me, that's what I always went to the Terminator series for was who had the best vision of what we were, what was going to happen to us. You know, that's why one and two are always going to be perfect because Cameron's cinematography as to what the future is, is haunting. It's literally just like metal crushing, nothing but bones. And like, that's terrifying as a kid and then you know boom you're back where we are so this movie essentially watching it in 2012 this movie is what 30 years away and now we're about 20 years away from it so it's telling me that in 20 years from me watching it now you know something's going to happen somebody from the future is going to come back and say look um where i'm from this this technology exists to send people back in time. They sent me back in time. I'm not going anywhere. I know everything. I know what you're going to do. I know when you're going to do it. And I'm not going to tell you, you know, but if you come work for me, I'm going to put, I'm going to give you something that was already yours. Give you what was yours. It's like, it's this weird, like, and that's why I like that. It's Jeff Daniels in the a role, because it's like this weird, weird semi God complex thing of like, you can't, tell him anything he doesn't already know about you. He's got detailed files on exactly who you are and what you've been doing the last 30 years, you know? So, you know, in 20 years, we're going to get told that, you know, there's this technology in 2074 that, like, it's it comes out, and they instantly outlaw it for obvious reasons, a la Time Cop. You know, go watch Time Cop. you understand why they would outlaw it. Um, and so it's obvious that like, and, and the thing I do appreciate about it is the, the science behind it is explained once very low key, low tech. And then that's just it. You don't get any more of it. And I appreciate that because it allows you to like focus more on who's, who's doing what the characters of it, because you know, like I said, we're, they do have like hover cars. But he drives a fucking Miata, like an old school Miata. But it's it's treated with the reverence of like, oh my God, this guy's got a fucking Miata? Like, that's the vibe of it. Right. And I love the idea that, yeah, in 2044, a fucking, like, whatever Miata from the early 2000s would be a fucking classic car. Right. And it would be this badass thing that, like, only the dudes with money, only the loopers, man. Yeah. They're the only ones cruising around and stuff like that. And that's my thing. It's like, okay, everyone seems to know their loopers. That's all my only bro issue is like the circle they hang in. And again, this is Kansas City. This isn't like New York. And the fact that he's like, if he'd done this in any other city, it would have been an achievement. It's not hard to be the king of like fucking Kansas City right. and whatnot. So it works because it's it's big enough, but it's also out of the way enough that any rumblings that happen you could pretty much control and contain, you know, but if I'm like, but we're also led to believe that like in that, in the 2044 timeline, like there's not really, there's no law as far as really 
like society, we see that early initial shot where like people were just getting shot dead in the streets. Yeah. So I know I always took it as like the society thing. is in the process of collapsing because of lack of resources, money, etc. Whatever. There are no jobs. I would think it's the oncoming of the TKs. Yeah, that's that. It's the if these people are born with disability, then there must be no God. So then there's going to be a collapse in what we know as human civilization. That's the uh, I love the, that. Like, okay, he lays out all of this stuff for you, and then you're inter- like, you see the hover bike, you see Paul Dano, and I was like, oh yeah, I fucking forgot. Hell yeah, Paul Dano's in this movie. Fucking Riddler, bro. Yeah. So he, they're driving in the car, and you see him twirling the coin or whatever. And then it's like he's already set up for you. Okay, time travel exists. We're loopers. We go. We kill people like from the future, but in our present, which is technically the past for them. But okay, you with me so far? Okay. By the way, also now like ten percent of the population <laughs> has this genetic mutation known as TK. And of course, I'm listening to this. and I'm like, dude, this most anime shit ever. I'm yes. like, fuck yeah. <laughs> like, okay, cool. But I feel when like does Tetsuo show up exactly. And where is Kaneda? What, and where, uh, what are we doing? why have they not just let you, Ryan Johnson, make the Akira movie that everybody's been talking about for years? Yeah. That fucking DiCaprio owns the rights to. Like after this movie, why did they not go? Oh, okay. This is the ultimate calling card for him to go and make that. Mm-hmm. He's like, you see, you saw what I did with thirty million, right? Give me a hundred. See what I see what I do. Yes. Yeah. I think Netflix gave him like. All the money in the world, not to quote a Ridley Scott title, but right. um, for Knives Out too, because I don't know how the hell else he got that cast. But I'm like, yeah, dude, like Netflix, get like tell DiCaprio, you guys got a good relationship now. Don't look up and let's think about it. Let's let's, let's, let's get the Akira movie. Thirty made. million dollar budget. How much of that was Bruce Willis' salary? I okay. good ten, maybe twelve. You, you want to talk about Willis for a minute? Yeah, I mean we can. What what are you talking about? Um we've <laughs> what what are, Gavin, you, what are we talking about? What, well Willis, of course. I don't know, Mr. Drummond. What are we talking about? <laughs> um have we hit him before other than Color of Night? Is that no. the only time? In Color of Night that's Okay, it. so I feel like we talked about it a little bit at the time and this is in an era where I feel like he decided to try again. Yeah. For for a little bit now he's still granted i'm sure at this time still doing the you pay me what is his rate Mm -hmm. i think he's like way above scale (laughs) no but i think he legit is like a million dollars a day yeah like i'll do your movie i'll be in two scenes if you can afford me for two or three days like i think that's his going rate or whatever he doesn't do the 20 million a picture he does the i'll do 12 hours for a million bucks kind of thing on any movie so every like you know, foreign distributed action movie is like, oh yeah, we can put a little bit of our budget into getting Bruce Willis. That's enough to sell it in foreign territories. Boom, mm-hmm. we're good. So he's still doing all of that at this time, but I feel like he was just kind of like, I don't know, maybe I kind, maybe I do want to give a shit again, because yeah. this is right around the same time as like Moonrise Kingdom, mm-hmm. which I thought was like. Oh shit! All right, you really popped in here. Because I'm always interested whenever Wes Anderson brings in a you know somebody outside of the the players group to see if like are they going to work and are they going to stick around is right. the other thing. And if I'm not mistaken, Willis has never done anything else with him. But 
he was so dialed in in that movie, and he's one of the standouts. And like people were like, maybe he'll get a supporting actor not off of this. And never quite happened. Um, but I feel like he is in it on this one because he knows he's got a good script. And like I think the dude's at least got a little bit of taste. He probably saw Brick and could at least see like this kid knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But everything we've heard about him is like he's Mr. Big Swinging Dick on set. And I have a hard time believing that he wouldn't be that way because I feel like that's also why he likes to work with like unknowns and like no-name directors because he feels like he can, you know, man up around them. But I've also heard this about Willis, which is apparently he likes to like test directors. Oh, yeah. I've heard that. And I can see him testing Ryan Johnson and Ryan Johnson being like, I'm a fucking born filmmaker, dude. Like, get the fuck out of my face. But not in that tone, but like just like he answers his question in such a way that it's basically like, yeah, I know what the fuck I'm doing. And Bruce Willis would be like, all right, respect, respect. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm here to play for this kid, but no, I've heard that's what he does is literally first day on set. He basically like dresses down the director or like ask him a question. If he doesn't know the fucking answer to it, he's either like, okay, I'm trying on this one or you're getting the phoned in version of me. Right. And this one, he's not phoned it in. You want to talk about somebody else who is not phoning it in? So is that what happened with Good Day to Die Hard? You think the director just lost the battle the first day? I don't know what the fuck happened in that film, dude. It was not a good day to die hard, that's for sure. I And I thought the quality control on Live Free was really good. Mm-hmm. I still stand up for that one. Yeah. I don't know what happened. That was a steep, steep fall off. I'm... I'm I know a lot of people don't like four at all, but I think I thought for it, what it was, it it played. Oh no, live free or die hard is like it's like one, three, four, two. I would agree with you. There. Yeah. Um. But I think that may have been just like a cash grab. Like we gotta we gotta make us a die hard movie, or we gotta get rid of the rights Probably. to a die hard movie. Now they can just make the die hard battery commercials. Right. Which are amazing. Um, I just, I did such a full circle moment. I'm sorry. As a kid, I always, like, I would see Die Hard Batteries and be like, oh, like the movie. And, right. You know, as a, you know, as a kid when you're just like, oh, two things can't have the same, same name. Right. Like, that's not allowed. So I just always assumed, like, oh, it's connected. In the same way that didn't Dad have, like, some shades that were... They were like police shades, mm-hmm. but they were marketed as like, because it was in Japan, it was like John McClane's yeah, yeah, shade. Yeah. Am I crazy? Mm-hmm. No, you're right. That yeah. was a thing. Yeah. They were like the aviator things he wore as like policemen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's all because, you know, they said, will you come here? Will you take some pictures, do a few shoots, we'll pay a couple million dollars just to put these sunglasses on and you can ride. It's like most people don't know that Hulk Hogan had a full-on wrestling career in Tokyo. Like, as he's the biggest star in the world in America, he's a huge name in Tokyo as well. Because you just fly over there and do two or three nights wrestling and do promotions and then fly right back to the U.S. It's crazy. But to loop us back into this story, there is no wrestling in 2040. It's literally just people killing people and doing drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of eyeball shots. Yeah. (laughs) With blunderbuss. That is the one thing that I was just like, what is this? What are we going for by like 
the main weapon is a blunderbuss. I don't understand. I get the I pistols. Mean, Those are cool. Like, it's like cowboy shit, you know? Well, that's kind of what I like about it is it's it's steampunky without, without going full-on goggles and shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I can see it's that. It's just a little light touch, which, again, is what, to me, keeps it feeling very unique yeah. unto itself because he's pulling from all these different all these different bits that he likes to create his own work. And I love the bit of like the, he goes in for the first sit down with Jeff Daniels. Um, we don't have to go beat by beat. No, we'll do it no, however no, you want to yeah. do. But, and he's like, yeah, you guys are, it's just a cycle. Like yeah. it's literally a loop. You, you guys are just, dr- you guys are just yeah. dressing like the nostalgia from, you know, all the shit 40 from, years before you like yeah. that's all it is do, do, do something a, original learn and Mandarin. he's while he's saying this he's wearing like a cleric type robe where right. you're like oh yeah that's the point we all evolved to is like the matrix re- revolutions right. where everybody's just wearing fucking woven rags and, and see shit. here's my thing is he not eventually going to cause a problem because he's going to exist in a world 30 years three days two hours whatever the time it is He's going to exist in that. He's already born at that point. In 2040, he would have already been born. Is that going to be the real crux of it? Like, that's the real problem, right? Or is it not? Because what if he bumps into his own self? Like, he can't do that. You're talking about Jeff Daniels. Right. So is that the logic? If I am not... If you... Am I... If you come back... If you're in the future, you're sent back and you die. You're fine. But if your future self comes back... And tells you something that can instantly change the whole game. In fact, JGL says that to him. He's like, the minute you say something, I'll just change it. Yeah, the minute you show me a picture of what she looks like, I'll know to just fucking avoid her. I'll go marry someone else. Right. Dude, I'm sorry. JGL fucking kills it. This entire movie. Yes. And it, again, Veronica's watching this with me. It took her, I had to point it out. I was like, you, I was like, you see he's wearing the facial prosthetics, right? And she's like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah. I was like, that's not what Joseph Gordon-Levitt looks like. At all. They're doing it to bridge this gap for Bruce Willis. And I'm like, and here's the thing. You don't really need it because his performance is so good. The delivery the like oh yeah he studied every he studied all of it is so good you barely you don't need the makeup yeah because you just your mind just kind of wants to believe it anyways and Mm -hmm. once they start actually interacting with each other i mean all bets are off you're asking me about the jeff daniels character though did you Mm -hmm. not find this in any research and i may be misremembering but i thought this was a thing when the movie came out that was like fan theory and then he eventually confirmed it or maybe he confirms it in the commentary maybe what are you talking about kid blue Mm -hmm. is jeff daniels uh well no because kid blue gets killed yeah but do you see jeff daniels after that no because kid blue gets killed out in the cornfield sequence and then he would never been able to make it to the future to come back if he gets killed in that timeline so you're saying that collapses everything it, in that moment. It so Bruce have. Willis should have 
should blanked have. out of existence. Yeah, if he was. Kid, Do we see Kid Blue die? He just gets shot off of his. He shoots him off of that. Yeah. And everything I've read says he killed. You know, he kills Kid Blue, and then no. Doesn't he get? No, he doesn't get exploded. It's the other guy that gets exploded. I thought we saw a kill shot. I I don't remember. Uh-huh. I truly don't remember. I, but I thought that was a thing that Kid Blue and Abe are the, the same, same person. person. Which and would that's make why a lot of sense. Their whole a, dynamic with each other. While he's the, always pissed off that like you're such a you're an idiot. You're a du-. he's looking at himself like oh my god you're a fuck. And it's almost like the reason that he again his loop is the way that he gets to be this fucking dude is the wizened older version of him comes back to himself to basically say hey stop being a fuck up stop being an idiot they both have the southern accent and it's okay am i crazy a little bit but listen kid blue captures old joe takes him to abe old joe breaks out killing abe and his henchmen goes to the farm followed by kid blue while young joe kills kid blue old joe pursues sarah and and sid that's what the plot description is so by that point, it's like maybe yeah because you don't actually see a body. I know he shoots the ground and then shoots up as he's driving off. And if he can kill people farther away, I'm assuming right where you're at is just gonna you're gonna get taken out. I don't know. But oh, I'm sorry. Hold on just a second. I, again, we could be talking about all of this forever. We're gonna be putting straws and making diagrams which is one of my favorite things about the movie is that it says hey shut up and stop thinking about all this stuff yet you still can't help but do it kid blue being abe and dying doesn't negate the time travel being invented in the future and this this structure existing right but abe would never have been able to come back he would never live long enough to become Abe and come back in time. If but he, the older version of Abe is already dead at that point. So what does it matter that the younger version dies? I don't understand what the what the issue would be. <laughs> this is yeah, this is where it gets crazy. Okay. Bruce Willis killed old Abe, Jeff Daniels, right. when he comes back to the Right. When they bring him into the stronghold, essentially. He kills mm-hmm. all the loopers. He's closing everything out. Right. Right. But if... Which is fine for right. that. So younger version of Kid Blue still exists. Until he's dead. He, can no long, he can't grow up and live into the future to come back. If he dies in 2044. I, I agree with you there. Right. <laughs> If young, okay, Jeff Daniels is still alive, okay? Jeff Daniels is still alive. Yeah, he does. Uh, yeah, I see no, what no, you're no, saying. No. I see what Jeff you're saying. Daniels is still alive, they and young they Kid exist. Blue gets yes. killed. Jeff, Jeff Daniels blinks out of existence, correct? Right. Okay. If older version of him is killed and it doesn't in, the matter. Pre- in the present, then, okay? Yeah, then it, you're right, it doesn't matter. Then only younger version exists. So younger version dying at that point in said timeline. Right. Would not affect anything. You're right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? Right. He already he already completed his loop. He came back and yeah, as the older version of time. I got it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. He again. He out. He out time traveled time travel by. I'm saying Ryan Johnson did. Oh yeah. 
by making it a loop, by basically saying, I'm sorry, whatever elements you can throw at me, I can explain it as it was always meant to happen this way. Yeah. It was always meant to happen this way. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that is maddening about this movie and totally satisfying about it at the same time. It makes the ending so fucking brilliant. But oh yeah, we have so many other things we can hit on if you want to. I um, where where do you want? Let's um, dude the Paul Dano sequence oh, with yeah. his older ver- one of the coolest torture scenes in the yeah. history of movies, which is I'm not seeing what they're doing to Paul Dano. I'm only seeing what's happening to the future version of him. And I remember even having the logic question. This is when you know that Ryan Johnson is operating on another fucking level. Because I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Okay. His fingers are... I'm like, holy shit, dude. Like, oh, this is such a cool idea. Like, they're fuck. Oh, his nose is gone. Like, I'm losing my shit. And then my... I start trying to overthink it, right? I'm like... But that's not how... That's not how, like, aging on an injury would work. Like, that just, no, because, like, you would die or you would bleed out from something like that. Like, how are his legs disappearing and, like, mm-hmm. all of this shit? And then the reveal of they literally have him hooked up. They're sustaining his like, life yeah. as they're torturing him. Mm-hmm. Again, is like, oh, you, you thought you had, you thought I didn't think of that shit? Oh, yeah, I fucking did. We told it's you the scene before. We're not going to kill him. It's that mentality throughout the movie of every time you think, aha, aha, you're not as clever as you think you are, Ryan Johnson. He's like, no, I, 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 I am. I am actually. Yeah. I thought of everything. You fucker. Right. Um, and that's, I mean, I was already in love with the guy from Brick, but this is when I was like, dude, you, you, he, you can tell this guy has obsessed over all of the shit we're talking about. Longer than any of us will ever spend talking about it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He spent more time daydreaming about the implications of all of this shit. But whereas something like Primer, which have you seen Primer? No. Something like Primer is so, it is like baffling because it tries to go the, the Stephen Hawking, like we're going to like, we're going to science this shit and we don't care if it all goes way over your head. Um, and it supposedly is a movie that, like, you know, you rewatch it enough times, you can kind of, like, you start to get it. Um, you... I think it's a little maddening. What he does here, though, is he has all of that same depth of, like, oh, but the implications. But because he has this very core human story and it centers around one character and the idea of having dueling motivations at different points in your life right and not being able to think you know 30, Specific, 30 specifically years ahead. That, that scene where he's like the last time you saw her face he's trying to remember his wife's face that's his whole motivation for you know trying to do that when you know that like jgl and her you know are getting closer and whatnot and you're like okay you know because it's yeah that that to me is probably one of the standouts like yeah that's you know that's good shit yeah i love the uh so he he aids paul dano mm-hmm. who is in trouble with the loopers because he did what you're not supposed to do he let his loop go he let his loop run right yeah i 
again, the other brilliant thing is the delivery of the narration of JGL. But it's just the, this is called letting your loop run. Like, all, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. This is called closing your loop. Yes. Yeah. So, he aids Paul Dano. So, he has to go in and talk to Jeff Daniels. And it's like, hey, so... We know you've been stockpiling your shit. We know you're ready to get out of here when your contract's up. Basically, give him up or or give us half your shit. Um, right. That's the deal. And so he, he sells him out. He sells out Paul Dano. And they go, they get him, they torture him, etc. So shortly thereafter, his loop comes back. Yada, yada, yada. We get to a great early, like, dual perspective scene mm-hmm. which i love that he starts playing around with because initially i love that there's like no score for it too but like when willis shows up it's just immediately like boom shoot me in my gold that's strapped to my back i'm gonna throw a brick at you i'm running at you boom you're out we don't know what happened and now we is that when they first do the this is what you were supposed to do is right. kill yourself, and we see this is the trajectory you were on. Right. Year one. Yes. Year ten. And you see that Year he two. essentially just kind of like parties himself to death and mm-hmm. you know, um, eventually gets saved by um, his wife, who we learn is murdered in the future by this crazy crime lord syndicate uh, and uh, the Rainmaker. Excuse me. Right. Yes. And so that's his whole motivation is I got to come back and I got to undo this shit because I got word that this is the the period of time where I could basically come and pull a, you know, a Hitler child murder, um, take out this guy before he becomes a problem. Right. Yes. So that's what he's back to do. Meanwhile, JGL is just like, no, I'm going to kill you because I just want to live my life like the one I want to. I don't know any of this bullshit you're talking about. So he goes back to his apartment and there's the whole thing. The loopers are closing in uh, quick little shootout. And then he falls off the railing and like you see JGL side of it. But then I love looping back around and you get, Oh, Bruce Willis was there the whole fucking time. And like, there's the great wonder of him just following up behind the cars. I'm just imagining how they shot these, like some of these sequences simultaneously or like multi-takes because it all looks like it intercuts oh, yeah. very well when they do all this stuff. It's very Back to the Future too. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Uh, a huge touchstone, I'm sure, for this film. Um, but that's, and again, the, these sequences are filled with, I mean, that falling shot to me is so, like, straight out of an anime. Just oh, yeah. the way it's staged and everything. Um, oh, brutal scene where he traps, it, he traps Kid Blue in the... Um, his vault. In his vault and smashes the hand, dude. Mm. Oh, so visceral, so visceral when it happens. Um, now, see, the only thing that would have been is the smashed hand then... If I would have seen something on Jeff Goldblum's hand as like a permanent, Jeff, not Goldblum, Jeff Daniels. I almost said Bridges. <laughs> yeah. So we were all. If he's, I'd got seen, the, he's got the great big bushy beard. Yeah, well, if, he, if I'd have seen like just a tiny wrap or like a tiny like leather arthritic thing to be like, and again, this I, was my injury from back in the day. I would have been like, okay, I get it. You're, you know, 
it would have made a lot more sense to maybe me. it's a fan theory or it's an easter egg i'm not sure but for some reason i have those two connected in my head that that is that they are the same person but i could be wrong yeah okay we get the diner scene with them. They he does the writing on his uh, the yeah. waitress's name, which we've seen as a we've seen that set up through the Dano character, um, communicating with his past self or right. them torturing him. Uh, but we get that great sit down. They basically end up in another shootout. And this, I love this where he like the loopers come in, the other loopers, and it's like, no, he immediately just turns and like he's trying to take it's him out. It's not until too. they run out of the field that he were, they they look at him like, fuck, we're here oh, for yeah, you we're too. supposed to get you. Oh shit, yeah. yeah. I love the the clumsiness of some of the action beats, and I love Kid Blue just being like a complete fuck up most of the time with all of this stuff. Uh, but yeah, this leads into kind of the midsection of the movie where we get introduced to. Our other important characters who we should probably get to, which is Emily Blunt and Sarah and Sid. Sarah and Sid, yes, and her little creepy son. Um, <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. He's basically, you know, he, to me, that the, the whole setup of the TK thing just solely exists to be like, that's why this kid is how he is. Which doesn't make a lot of sense. And because because he wants to play baby Akira right. a little bit. He's like, they're not going to let me make a big one, so right. I'm just going to make yeah. a little one. Which, it doesn't make sense because like, if that's his power, and he could do that and blow people up, why would he not just do that in the future? Like, the events of everything happen. He becomes the Rainmaker because Joe comes back in time and shoots his mother, and he witnesses his murder, and he grows up on a train car all alone by himself, and he decides... You know what? I'm gonna. I need to go make this thing. I need to work my way up so that when I come, when I get to be 30 years old, I can go ahead and just swoop in and I'll fucking lay waste all these loopers. I'm gonna play the long game. I'm gonna get back at them years from now. But if he has that ability to just like when he gets mad and can't control himself, he just yells and people, you know, explode into you know, eviscera. Why not just do that back then? Like do do that in the future. You know, I get they're tracked. It's hard to get rid of a body when you send a body back in time. They're essentially there's no trace of them. Even if you just buried them and they got well, dug and up, again, you know that's who they the were. other thing. Is like all of the knowledge of the future we have is all via Abe. The, yeah, the Jeff Daniels character, which is like we can only trust him as much as we choose to. Right. He only has maybe a limited amount of information himself. Mm-hmm. So that's what I want to know. What, what was his reason? What, what did he fuck up? And that's why he has to come back. They're like, we got to have somebody go. We've invented the, the stuff. Which again would track with him being Kid Blue. We don't like you. Like, you're just not. He's a fuck up. Yeah. 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 You fucked up. Like, you know, you messed something up. So you're going back, you know. And yeah, I just, I could see it. Yeah. Now that I think about it more and more, I could see that Kid Blue is, is actually Ugh. Abe. So, uh, they begin a romance. Yeah, it's it's pretty chaste, um, and he also starts bonding with the kid a little bit. Yeah, but you still, you still like this kid's got something going on. Yeah, I'm not oh, quite shit. sure. Um, anyways, eventually, her old buddy Garrett Dillahunt shows up. Oh, never, never upset to see this gentleman. No, always a good time. Uh. So he shows up, he's he's poking around, he's asking questions, and I, I love uh, 
uh, JGL telling the kid, like, hey, this guy's, like, he's totally fine. I know him. Like, once he realizes we're not there, he's not going to hurt your mom. Like, this guy's not an asshole, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, you're going to be good. Um, And then when he does enter that scene, um, or he he comes back, like, because they... He leaves that first time, they, right? They scoop him and put him in the in the crawl space, thinking he's gone, he's good. So he, you know, they come out, kid's going up the stairs, and then he comes back in and confronts them. That's why he's on the further side of the room, you know, gun out and everything. And yeah. old boy, uh, the kid falls, going trying to come back and protect his mom. The kid falls, and he instantly... Goes instantly to like help him, and you think, Oh, Emily Blunt, too. And Such the last second, you're like, She just grabs him and pull, yanks him out of the house. And you're like, What was this? And then just boom. Every, and yeah. that's my favorite shot of them going in the house. And you pan, and the back side of the house is just dripping blood red where he got smashed to it. And they come out the other side. That's just that was one of my favorite. Favorite I mean, shots in the my fa- my favorite shot is all of the shit suspended in the air, including Garrett Dillahunt, and you just like it's at a it's a wide shot, so mm-hmm. you don't notice it initially, and it's not like a huge music cue or anything, but you just see like his chest burst essentially right from both sides, and just blood, just like again something you would see in a fucking anime, and. It's just, it's a quick wide shot. And this is a PG-13. It's mm. PG-13, right? I believe so. I think it is. I think it squeaks under there. Maybe it is rated R. Was Looper R? Mm-hmm. In my head, this is PG-13. I have no idea. I, maybe that's my, might have been why I didn't actually I'm an idiot. It. It's rated R. I was going to say, I think it's, it should be. It definitely should be. <laughs> Um, but yeah, incredible sequence. So then we basically, there's the other thread, which we didn't really mention of because Bruce Willis is the future version, obviously things that Gordon Levitt does in the past or in the present rather. Right. Um, he then has memories of, so like if he changes locations or he eventually knows where he's going to be. Right. And he, in parallel to uh, JGL and Emily Blunt building their relationship and all that, is he is tracking down other kids and murdering them. One of them. He definitely does one of them. In the midst of him about to do the second one, which is actually the daughter of the dancer that JGL was um, pining after earlier on in the movie, Mm -hmm. that's right at the same time that Dillahunt shows up, right? Right, cause because it's, it's, it's basically once he that sees, happens, and Willis sees, oh, "Oh my God, this is definitely this is where the kid. I gotta be go." Yeah, I'm done. So I have to, it spares him because the thing you yeah. see, which again, it goes back into talking about your consequences, what it is, the whole "Would you go kill Hitler?" as a kid thing. After he commits that first one, he's under the underpass for like other vagrants and stuff around, and he is just beside himself. And it's like having to tell yourself, "I just went and killed this innocent child." Because, and realizing that in doing so, he didn't change anything because his wife is still dead. She's not there. He doesn't have new memories with her or anything like that. Because, again, if he is to actually kill 
this child, he would disappear. He wouldn't be no longer. There'd be no need for him to be there anymore. You know? So coming to terms with that and realizing like I had this goal, I was gonna I was gonna tear it all down and I had to fucking kill an innocent little child and nothing happened to me. Well, I just killed this innocent child for no reason. Like that my love for my slain wife that I want back and I want more time for, I love you enough to murder children. Like that's yeah. what he's saying. And that's like Well, and the fact that it goes there, period. Yeah. What movie <laughs> The is idea doing that, that like you think that you think the dangling threat is gonna be that he would do it to this main kid. The fact that there are in fact uh, it's kind of a Terminator situation. Exactly. I'm not quite sure which one, so I'm kind of just rolling up the doors mm-hmm. and blowing kids' heads off. Right. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, it's a heavy concept, but I like that the movie does not shy away from it. Exactly. And it doesn't, and it, I mean, it tries to set up from the get-go. It's like, no, the, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character is kind of like... He's a bad guy. He's, he's not yeah, good. These aren't good people. No. Like, he's not somebody you would traditionally be rooting for. Right. And... I remember thinking because of the way she's presented, it is just like, oh yeah, it's the typical like, it's the dead wife scenario, like the shit we make fun of Christopher Nolan Nolan for. But it's like, oh yeah, I was a complete piece of shit, but then like she showed me how to live again and like forget, you know, this woman who never has a line of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh Bruce, but the the flashback to me slash flash forward, well, flash but I'm saying forwards. to me the redemption of that comes with unfortunately with a different character but with the emily blunt character who is a fully formed like you know she has her own backstory her own struggles um her own dynamic with the kid like Mm -hmm. all of that um she's way more fleshed out because i feel like if if you didn't have that character in there um this would feel like it's another you know Again, like I said, the dead wife scenario where it's literally just, oh, we just have women in this cast to, like, generate emotional investment and right. the, like, catharsis for the male characters, and that's that. But she, you know, prevents it from doing that, essentially. So, anything else you want to say before we get to the absolutely, like, brilliant banger ending of this movie? <laughs> no, no, that's, I mean, we pretty much covered everything I wanted to talk yeah, about. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Kid Blue shows up, like we said, there's a shootout outside of the cornfield and then things escalate bruce willis is coming after them they flip the car there's all of that stuff uh kid gets shot through the cheek mm-hmm. which we heard earlier like oh there's all rumors his mom was killed in front of him and he has a synthetic jaw like all these things are kind of starting to line up um but yeah and jgl's in pursuit after having killed kid blue so he's a little bit behind Catches up to him, and he's basically, he's not going to be able to reach Bruce Willis in time. They play up the one thing that they talk about earlier, is that when they're in the same spot together, just for a brief little bit, JGL can see, like... What's going to happen. What's going to happen that Bruce Willis already knows has happened. So you get that shot of, like, him escaping, Sid getting on the train all alone with the bloody cheek and all that. Yeah. And it's like once that they, once they meet in that parallel, that time he's realizes like, okay, yeah, like this will, no matter what I do right here. I, I, 
either I what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to jump in front of him? What am I? What do we do? He yeah. won't shoot You're me. Like, this is a I true. Get to it is a self fulfilling prophecy. Right. It, it. We will run in this loop forever and ever. Right. And he's like, so I saw it all in that moment. And you're like, oh, my God, all of this is coalescing. But I'm like, it's still first time watching it. I'm like, but yeah, but what's the what's the out, dude? Like, what what are we doing? And he's just like, I saw everything. And it was a circle. So I changed it. And when he flips that gun on himself, I remember just like, ah, like Mm -hmm. the brilliance of it hit me all at once where I was just like, dude, that is I mean, that is the solution. Everyone knows the answer to when they start the movie that they don't know is the answer. When exactly. They start the movie. It's so he already knew that the minute he made this movie was like, this is the only way to get out of this. It's been the only way to get out of this. So, you know, my old you know, future self can't kill younger self. Younger self can hunt older self down all day long. But if old younger self gets taken out, older self dies as well. What's the it, easiest way to do it? Take yourself out of the equation. And we've seen so many self-sacrifice moments in movies. Right. For time and memoriam. But again, what this motherfucker does best is he takes these well-worn tropes, these things we know and are just like, we know are rock-solid foundation, and he just... His attitude with all of this, you can take it into Star Wars as well, is like, okay, I've seen that shit. It works. We've done it well for a long period of time. So what can I add to it? Right. Like, literally, what can I do that is different? What have I always wanted to see as a riff on this type of thing? And his brain just seems to kind of approach everything in, like, genre is great. I love tropes. But how do we move beyond oh i want to pay homage to this thing and we start setting some new rules possibly right doing something new with it because i mean he and, easily could have just shot his own hand off and solved the whole problem right there sure but he doesn't he just takes his <laughs> entire self out of it right you know the hand he's holding to shoot the gun if he just boom i took you know we see that that does work we watch it in the past yeah and it's not hard to believe that with the amount of money he saved up, he couldn't get a great prosthetic. And I mean, the future's coming soon. He could get an, a, a prosthetic hand, no problem. Yeah. But it also leads you to believe that, like, if that moment, like, if he shoots his hand off, like, <laughs> where are we going to go? Like, they're still both there. I got to be honest. Both handless. If it if this movie ended with JGL shooting his hand off and that being, and like, Bruce Willis, the the hand disappears the gun drops and the day is saved or whatever um this movie's like an eight okay instead of a ten i'm just being what honest if, what if what if in his it just would kind of take all the piss it out of would, it it would but what if like you know i got it here's how i do it you do that <laughs> no, no no you do that let me let me rewrite no no no, no. here you go yeah. you do that right and you have that like when that happens the gun drops the gun still goes off still kills her and the whole thing is always going to happen. And in that moment, I realized no matter what I do, if I don't take myself out completely, we're going to be in this loop because it does. So you just want Emily Blunt to be dead. No, 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 no. I'm saying <laughs> like that would put some predestination into it, which we've talked about, like anything's possible. 
But it also would add the argument of like, even if I do this, I don't kill myself. Even if I remove, you know, stop it right now, you know, at this point in time, always, if she dies, everything will happen. Doesn't matter how, doesn't matter if he shoots her outright, doesn't matter if I try to wing myself and the gun still goes off and kills her. The only thing, the only outcome I have that I can see is if I kill myself, you know? Like, that's how I would do it. It would be like another Flash dream thing that he sees, because we've played with that before. We'll end with that, and in that moment I realize there's nothing I could do but kill myself. I can't, like, you know, try and burn my hand or, like, you know, <laughs> shoot it off or, you know, shoot my leg. or. You get a montage of him, all the different attempts. Yeah. It's like, kind of like the ending of Doctor, Doctor Strange. Strange. Dormammu, I've come here. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay. That's what it is. Because it's an infinite loop. Time is a flat circle circle it's fine but no yeah the ending how it is is perfect this movie is a fucking 10 10 it's like a fucking classic it's one of those that yeah takes it from like oh shit this is a really good entertaining movie and then has such a just perfect button of an ending mm-hmm. that you're just like oh that was fucking great like who leaves the theater going like oh oh okay looper you leave going like fucking hey man yeah. like that I got to go right back in and see it on another loop. Absolutely, man. Um, I mean, anybody going to movies now that that want that expects that the hero is going to walk out with them is you just need to just abandon all hope. Any good person that you like in a movie, just assume they're not going to make it out. And then if they do, it's great. And if they don't, you're like, you know what? He's a hero. It's a hero's tale. Heroes don't always stick around. It happens. It's just the the searchers. It's just the end of the movie. The searchers. We're talking about cinema here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I know I'm not allowed to like indies, but I can like westerns. Okay. <laughs> okay. John Ford did it best. I will allow you that. Uh, okay. So that was uh, that was the kickoff two by two. Again, Narc enjoyed going back to it. Don't need to revisit it again. But definitely going to be checking out some more Jason, pa- some unseen Jason Patrick's. Right. Very soon. Uh, Looper has only grown in my estimation every time I rewatch it. Um, I agree with, I mean, I would love to hear from people. You can email the archive at gmail.com. Yes. What, I mean, name, name me a, a, a sci-fi movie post 2012 original sci-fi film that tops this for you. That is not, again, I leave the caveat that is not a Benson and Moorhead movie <laughs> because the endless synchronic, do we get a third um, Daniel Jones sci-fi movie after Mute? Duncan Jones. Duncan Jones. I don't know why I said Daniel um, Jones. We have not. No, he made Warcraft right. uh, before Mute. and uh, Nothing since then. I don't believe so. Okay. He'd be the only guy I'd really be interested to see what he did with that, so to speak. There's been plenty of like time... You heard of this uh, fella, Francis Ford Coppola? That's the uh, that's the He's Apocalypse a... Now guy, right? I think so. Yeah. What about him? <laughs> He's uh, he's finally cashing in all the vineyard money. Oh. Um, and he's like self finance. He's doing it one last time. He's like, I'm making my great sci-fi opus that people will puzzle over for the next, you know. He's like, this is my crowning achievement final film, my final statement as an artist. But somebody's still going to come up and be like, Kubert did it better. 
Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. No, that just occurred to me. I was like, new original sci-fi that's see, coming I out. I did see somebody say, like, he's going to self-finance. He doesn't give a shit. Oh, no. He's literally, like, he, I think, is, he like sold off most of the stakes of the vineyard and, like, all the profits. He's, he's been, like, funneling into this. But, yeah, no, it's going to be, like, a $200 million yeah. sci-fi epic. Remains to be seen. Um, I look forward to the next uh, Ryan Johnson feature, which will be on Netflix later this year. It's called Knives Out 2. I got to be honest, this is one of those cases. Anytime a director immediately hops into the sequel of their work, even if it's something I loved, you know, and they don't do something in between, I'm always a little wary. Yeah. See Hostile Part 2. For instance, not See that Eli Roth. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> for you, I, I love it. Um, I I know you love it. To each their own. Uh, okay. Any any final thoughts or two by two? Um, no, we we got Oscars coming up, and then do an Oscars thing, and we'll uh, we'll pick the next one. Then I'm sure come up with our own categories as well yes, as we our will. predicts, and uh, also tease that we'll we'll have the premiere of a. A very special new miniseries that's going to be a yeah a little extra interactive thing between our Patreon and our main feed, but we'll we'll talk more about that when we get there. Indeed. Um, all right. Well, Gavin. Yeah, Noah. You know, these listeners, they open their podcast apps. They decided to download this episode. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them listen. <laughs>